Welcome back, everybody. It's CP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. Uh, we are going to be talking about some real-life football today. We're going to be talking about week zero and uh, giving you some lines and all that good stuff. Before we do that, we're going to do five more teams in our team previews. Uh, so we're going to do, we are on 15 through 11. And then our last team preview show will come out early next week with the top 10 from our uh, preseason rankings here. So uh, let's get into this. Let's talk about a little news first before we get to these team previews. And the biggest piece of news this week, gentlemen, is Rasheen Ali will be away from uh, the Marshall Thundering Herd for uh, an indefinite period of time. This might be it for him. We're not sure right now, but this is an enormous blow to Marshall, Nick. It really, really hurts, right? Absolutely. Uh, Ali had a, a huge, huge year last year. I mean, statistically, um, was arguably the best running back in, in college football. I mean, uh, just a, a huge yardage number, uh, touchdowns, um, and from a pure stand, you know, pure football standpoint, um, this is is one of the worst uh, losses a, a team could have. Ali finished tenth in uh, just total rushing yards uh, with just over fourteen hundred yards, had twenty three touchdowns, which tied uh, Tyler Algier for the most in the country. Uh, so he's one of the you know leading returning rushers and was a redshirt freshman and kind of came out of nowhere. So, um, you know, good story on that end and a huge, huge loss for a Marshall team that if you've listened to our team previews to this point, we're pretty high on. So um, purely, you know, football wise, big, big loss. But of course, um, you know, not a whole lot of details, but it sounds like uh, based on the statement that, that the university and the uh, coach Huff um, put out that, um, Ali is, you know, working through some things and certainly wish him the very best. And, uh, hopefully, um, he'll be able to come back when he's ready and, and hopefully that'll be soon because, uh, we'll certainly miss seeing him out there, um, for whether it's a few weeks or a few months or, or maybe, you know, the full season, but certainly, uh, wish him the best and, uh, hope, hope that we'll see him again on the field soon. Yeah. I mean, Xavier, just brutal blow for Marshall right before the season starts, right? No, absolutely. And in a conference that you, you've seen, you know, obviously they're moving to a new conference, but a conference that has shown you if you're able to run the football, you can have immediate success, you know, and to lose such an important piece of their running game. And really now you're going to have to kind of, you know, platoon it out from here on out. It's going to be hugely important to figure out if they can do that. Um, you know, I, I think in the long run, Marshall will hopefully be fine as far as their running game is concerned, but at least off the rip, you know, you're a week before the season starts or at least two weeks before the, their season begins, that's, that's going to be tough. That's going to be really hard to kind of just figure it out. Um, but, you know, as uh, unfortunately as we have to, you know, we have to know as players next man up and, you know, somebody's going to have to come in and, and fill those reps. Um, Scott, quick question. If you were taking Rasheen Ali, where were you taking him in CFF? I mean, he was like a, uh, you know, first to second round pick, right, Nick? Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he was very, very most, high. Uh, our buddy CFF Jared uh, had him 
had the ADP as running back six, I think, mm-hmm. and you know toward the tail end of the uh, first half, there was some uh, concern that maybe the touchdown numbers were just a little too good and the regression would would sort of be out for him. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, just a, a really really good player had a great mm-hmm. year last year and um, in the Sun Belt, tough league, of course, but uh, G five. Uh, opponents seemed like he was uh, lined up to have another big year. So it looks like Kalen Laybourne, the former five-star uh, Florida State signee who's made his way to Marshall, sort of a winding road, seems like he's in line to take over uh, okay. a heavier workload there. Um, but still, I mean, you know, Ali was was simply one of the best running backs in college football last year. Uh, brutal blow, brutal blow for Marshall. We also had a couple other – uh, injuries, Florida State uh, returning starting center Maurice Smith will miss at least one game due to injury uh, as they do play FCS Duquesne on Saturday. And South Alabama safety Keith Gallman will miss 2022 season with a chest injury he suffered in a recent scrimmage. So once again, Nick, just injuries piling up right here, uh, right before the season starts. But we do actually get games on Saturday. So I'm pumped even through the injuries. Yeah, for sure. And Florida State kicks off this Saturday. Um, they'll be playing uh, Duquesne, uh, FCS opponent. So this particular injury probably won't, uh, you know, make a, a, a huge, huge impact. But if you, you know, we're paying attention uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks, Florida State now uh, has lost its second center. Caden Lyles was projected to be the starter uh, at center transfer coming in from uh, Wisconsin and then. You know, Smith had been a starter last year, so um, they're having to get creative, move Darius Washington to center. Um, that you would expect probably, you know, will be fine there, but certainly a, a hit to depth. And then uh, the Gallman news was, um, you know, I thought important to note because South Alabama uh, top 35 defense last year in team performance and Gallman was a uh, you know all conference caliber safety came back for uh, super senior year um, guy who has played a lot of football thirty five career uh, games started uh, was a ninety two and a half rated player in our individual player ratings just based on a really really productive career so um, that's a hit to South Alabama who we you know as we mentioned several weeks ago uh, should be in the mix in the Sun Belt West. Xavier, your thoughts on these injuries here? I mean, you know, uh, it, it's it's almost somber starting the ep- these episodes recently <laughs> because this is the news that we get. It's not like a lot of fun news. It's right. this, well, this guy's out for the year. This guy's going to miss some time. This guy, uh, you know, is stepping away from the team. It's almost depressing to start, but we got to know about it. Right, and we have absolutely no joy in talking about this kind of stuff either. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it is a somber new, uh, a somber note to kind of start the podcast off. You know, well, Florida State, that, that's just so tough. You know, Florida State is a team that hasn't really had a lot of continuity at, you know, on the offensive line. They've been a team that struggled to keep their quarterbacks upright over the last couple of years. And, and you really felt like, you know, they were starting to move in somewhat of the right direction. Um, and, and I just felt like, you know, this year was going to be the, you know, from a ton, a ton of Florida State fans I've talked to, they were like, yeah. You know, we're going to be able to keep a quarterback up for more than two seconds. You know, we've got all, we've got talent up there. We've got people, you know, and this is going to be a massive blow. I don't think people really understand how massive of a blow that, like, losing your center is. It's on the equivalent of, like, losing your starting left tackle because he is yeah. nine times out of ten 
the guy who calls out the formation, he's calling out any audibles, he's calling out any shifts that are necessary, anything on that on that offensive line, he's the brain for outside of the quarterback. And so losing him and having to just plug and play a guy like a week late oh, in the same within the same week, it's going to be difficult. I mean, that's going to be hard for that kid. Um, you know, hopefully he, he, you know, he can hit the ground running, but that's going to be tough. And, and for Keith Gallman, you know, you're absolutely right, Nick. This, this is a defense that, you know, outside of Troy, maybe one of, if not the best defense in the Sun Belt. You know, this is a team that definitely had it was going to have to lean on their defense. They also don't have a ton of depth at, at Gallman's position. You know, the, his backup, Ricky Hyatt Jr., is not only a redshirt sophomore, but he's also a transfer. Uh, and, and you really think that he's going to have to either come in right away or they're going to have to mix it up. Play maybe Dallas Gamble, who's, who's once again he's only a redshirt sophomore as well. Um, you know, uh, maybe Jalen Jordan, a, a junior, but also a transfer, maybe get some time there. So you, you're really going to see a, a, a team that has to figure out what to do replacing a guy who had so many reps um, and was, like you said, uh, you know, using a, a super senior year to come back and, and help bolster a, a team that, like I said, is going to have to really rely on their defense um, and, and, and some of the games this year. All right, well, let's get to some team previews here before we look at week zero. And we start here at number 15, Oregon. Oregon pulled off one of the most high-profile upsets of the season last year, beating Ohio State in Columbus, but lost to Stanford in OT. They were blown out by Utah twice and fell in the Alamo Bowl to finish the season 10-4. and four. DK has got their win total at 8.5. We have them at 8-4, and four, so we are officially under. Nick, the question for Oregon is national championship winning defensive coordinator Nate Lanning takes over for head coach Mario Cristobal, who left for Miami. Lanning inherits a talented roster capable of winning the Pac-12. Um, the question is, can the first-year head coach take the Ducks to the Rose Bowl? What do you think about Oregon? Is that their ceiling this year? Uh, I, th I think they certainly can be in the mix. I mean, obviously, Dan Lanning had, had established himself as uh, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country uh, at Georgia. Just a, a really, really fast riser, young guy. And uh, it looked for a little while like, you know, he wasn't um, going to get that opportunity to become a head coach in 2022. But um, a little bit late in the process. Uh, the wheels started to turn, of course, at Miami. Manny Diaz was pushed out. Mario Cristobal was able to, um, you know, go back home and, and take over that job and, and uh, just so happened to open up one of the premier um, Pac-12 jobs, certainly one of the best jobs on uh, the West Coast and, and in the Western U.S. and uh, a really, really talented roster. Oregon ranks 11th in uh, roster strength overall sixth on the defensive side of the ball. So you would expect um, a well-coached team uh, and a very, very talented roster. Um, they're probably going to be difficult to beat uh, or, you know, definitely difficult to um, score against, I would say. Uh, that you would expect, you know, they will have to improve quite a bit to – uh, maybe make it to the Rose Bowl. They ranked 81st in defensive team performance overall, 63rd against the pass, 65th against the run. But uh, even with some high-profile guys gone, including you know fifth overall pick Kayvon Thibodeau, a couple of starters in the secondary um, who are in NFL camps now, and, and another uh, DJ James who transferred to Auburn, uh, there's there's still plenty of talent to go around guys like Brandon 
doorless up front, uh, Noah Sewell, and, uh, you know, at, at linebacker, uh, Masefuna, um, you know, two of the, the you know, maybe the, the premier uh, linebacker duo in the Pac-12. Um, they are going to, I think, match up really, really well uh, in Pac-12 play to the point where we actually have Oregon favored in every conference game. We have them favored in our you know official model, our team strength model, um, in 11 regular season games. The only one uh, that they'll be coming in as an underdog is kind of interestingly enough, the neutral site matchup in week one with Dan Lanning's old team, uh, you know, the defending national champion, uh, Georgia Bulldogs. And that's a pretty interesting matchup because, um, you know, obviously two premier teams, but uh, new head coach, first time head coach in Lanning, um, uh, defensive coordinator, even though it's Lanning's defense that we haven't really seen at the college game in a little while, Tosh LaPoy, who uh, has a background at Alabama and, and uh, you know, several uh, Pac-12 schools, um, but also on the offensive side of the ball, where there is also you know plenty of talent, including one of the most experienced and best offensive lines in the country. I mean, Mario Cristobal, an offensive line guy, um, built a unit that ranked fifth in O-line performance last year. All five full-time starters uh, are back, including multiple All-Pac-12 uh, linemen. Uh, first-time play caller, Kenny Dellingham, who uh, has been has had the offensive coordinator title at a couple of places, has been um, on staff with Gus Malzahn and uh, uh, Mike Norvell, but both of those head coaches, you know, have been the play caller. So uh, he's getting to run his offense for the first time, uh, brings Bo Nix, who he worked with at Auburn, uh, in as a transfer. Seems like Nick's, uh, you know, signs are that, that he's going to be able to hold off Ty Thompson to start the season as the, uh, starting quarterback there, um, you know, plenty of talent to work with. Byron Cardwell, somebody I'm excited to see at running back. Uh, they brought a couple of transfers in as well. Marquis Serving, Noah Whittington, um, some experience at wide receiver, even though they don't necessarily have that, uh, at least, uh, you know, that we've seen that go-to guy. Uh, but Chris Hudson's back. They brought in a couple of uh, transfers Chase Coda, Caleb Chapman, they move Seven McGee from running back to receiver. And then that really, really, you know, great group of recruits, um, including Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, uh, who signed in uh, 2021. Those guys are another year older and, and maybe have an opportunity to, um, you know, take, a, take another step. Maybe somebody uh, will emerge and this offense can take a little bit of a step forward. Um, unfortunately, you know, tragically, um, they lost, a, a, a you know, big time member of the team, Spencer Webb to, a, an accident, um, during the off season. So there certainly will be an, ad, you know, an added element, um, with Webb's loss and, and how that weighs on the team. Um, but from a football standpoint, you know, there's, there's a lot to like about Oregon. There is not really a major obvious weak spot on the roster, any position group. Um, they rank, you know, first across the board in talent at every defensive uh, position group, top 25 nationally in every 
group, top 10 everywhere but the defensive line. And then, you know, offensively, like I mentioned, one of the top 10 offensive lines in the country, um, you know, inching toward top five and and plenty of experience and, and uh, maybe inject a little life with some newcomers as well. So pretty, you know, good situation if you're Dan Lanning to come in and, and take over a talented roster that is ready to compete. And, you know, there are several uh, toss-ups. They are favored against Utah, but by less than a point. Uh, a couple of other games are right around a field goal. Oregon State on the road, UCLA at home. Um, and then, you know, in non-conference play, BYU will be a, a second tough non-conference opponent. But um, the way those things shake out, as you mentioned, our, our projected win total just does come uh, just under the eight and a half. I think with a first-time head coach and a first-time play caller, I probably would rather be on the under than the over. Uh, but don't be surprised if, uh, you know, Lanning and, and the defensive coaching staff that he put together actually gets a little bit more out of this defense than last year's team. Uh, and the offense should be, you know, pretty exciting as well. It was a top 15 unit last year in team performance. Um, they might take a small step back, but I would expect that this Oregon team is going to be very competitive and it wouldn't shock me if they go over, wouldn't shock me if they get double digit wins. And, and uh, you know, I expect they will be um, right there with USC and Utah uh, at the top of the Pac-12 standings. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on Oregon this year? You know, a, a team that is always in contention, very high ceiling every single year. How do you think they're going to work in 2022? I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I just like another talking head with this one, but I mean, obviously they go as far as Bo Nix can take them. You know, offensively, this team needs Bo Nix to be what he was to begin last year's season. And, and we talked about this when we talked about Auburn in the last week's episode. I believe Bo Nix, you know, was in a large part, you know, the reason why Auburn started off so well. He started off very well, like I said, 11 touchdowns and three interceptions in his first, you know, first half of the year. And I felt like he was turning his own corner. And if he could have finished that out, maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't even leave for Oregon. Who knows? But I think this is a guy who ended up, you know, getting hurt and realizing he needed to walk away from, from Auburn. But, you know, Nick hit around the head. This is a younger offense that's going to need a quarterback to get them over the hump in some situations. Um, you know, obviously they're very young on the outside, featuring all sophomores as starters. Um, and, and I think, you know, at receiver, excuse me. And I think that when you really look at this team, if Bo Nix can replicate some of what he was able to do last year, not just with his arm, but also with his legs to, to um, you know, increase the time in the pocket that he has and allow some of these kids and guys to get open. If this offense can get clicking, they'll be fine. You know, obviously the Georgia game is what it is, but I'm not really worried about them in that regard. Yes, I'm, I'm expecting them to lose that game. But really then when you look at the rest of their schedule up until they, you know, they get into the deeper parts of Pac-12 play, they kind of are able to build themselves back up. You get a BYU game in Oregon, which you should be able to handle. Um, you should be able to win that ball game. Then, like I said, you get Washington State, Stanford, Arizona, all before you have to play a UCLA, a California, a Washington, or a Utah. So you and you avoid USC this year. So they have a schedule that allows themselves time to kind of get their footing back under them after playing a tough game against Georgia. 
And I really like that for this team because, yes, like I said, they are rather young on the defense, on the offensive end. Uh, and I'm expecting their defense, especially their linebacker room, to really be impactful defensively. Noah Sewell will probably be a first-round draft pick. That's not a hot take at all. Um, and Justin Flo might be one of the best young linebackers in college football. Uh, you know, I think this is a guy who's going to come and hit the ground running. Obviously, maybe you've seen some of his tape already. This is a kid who's a freakish athlete, and I think will have a huge will be a huge reason as to why Oregon is as good as they are defensively. Uh, I think he's uh, he's the, the way the words we would say he's nasty. He is a nasty player <laughs> uh, when it comes to what we are what you see on film from him, and he was one heck of a get uh, for Oregon as a whole. Uh, as far as their, their their win total, I think they're they're good enough to get over eight and a half. My biggest concern with Oregon is will they under you know under Crystal Ball they somehow sometimes just had losses that didn't make sense. And my biggest thing with them is is I think they can get over eight and a half. The whole question with them is are they going to lose a game that I don't see coming? Right? I expect them to lose to Georgia at this current moment. I expect them to lose to lose to Utah. Right? But are they going to have a game where they don't show up against Cal or they and then they don't show up against Washington and or UCLA is a game where. You know, UCLA just comes in with a little bit too much for them. And for me, I'm looking at all that like, okay, that that's that's where I'm just a tad bit concerned, just a smidge. Um, other than that, this is going to be a team that wins nine to ten games and is competing for the Pac-12 championship. Um, I think they're uh, a tier behind USC and Utah, but I don't think it's a, a like a mountain to climb. To be perfectly honest with you, I think it's just right there. They're just in that third spot where I believe if they can find their footing and they have a schedule to do so then they'll be perfectly fine, uh, and, and they'll be a team that, you know, coming into that Utah game, coming into that Washington game, you're looking at them as, okay, cool. They have a chance here to really, you know, compete for the, you know, the Pac-12 in Dan Lanning's first season. All right, let's talk about the number 14 team here, Notre Dame. Notre Dame continued its impressive run with an 11-1 and regular season, the only blemish being a 24-13 loss to undefeated playoff team Cincinnati before a 37-35 loss to Oklahoma State in the fiesta bowl dk has got their win total at eight and a half we have them at eight and four so officially under the eight and a half nick for notre dame you know kelly made the surprise decision to leave south bend for lsu which prompted the irish to promote head co defensive coordinator marcus freeman uh to head coach recruiting is on the rise but will freeman be able to keep notre dame in the 10 win territory in his first year as head coach of the fighting irish here to me, it's a, a pretty similar situation to Oregon. Um, you know, defensive-minded head coach, first opportunity uh, to be a head coach. Freeman did get to get his feet wet a little bit in the bowl game. Um, also, a little bit more continuity, even though he was only at Notre Dame uh, one year as defensive coordinator, uh, to be promoted from within and, and uh, certainly, um, you know, based on some of the videos we saw when the announcement was made, seems like uh, the locker room, you know, is thrilled to have Marcus Freeman as the head coach and, and, you know, like Dan Lanning, I, I think he has a really, really bright future and, and was able to um, get a, you know, his first crack at it at, at one of the premier jobs in the country. Um, that said, it's, you know, it's difficult when you're a uh, head coach for the first time um, when you are young and, and, you know, Sometimes uh, there's just for any head coach, it seems like there's um, a lot that you don't realize goes into the job until you're actually sitting in the big chair. And, and we all you know talk about it, but um, seems to me, you know, a lot of evidence to, to indicate that um, 
it really is different and it's something that you've got to uh, adjust to. And, and some, you know, some folks are able to do it really quickly. Some people um, takes a little while for, you know, Freeman at Notre Dame. Um, the, the first game of the season is, is uh, about as tough, you know, about as rude a, a welcome as you could get having to go to Columbus play Ohio State, who still is uh, our number one team uh, in our most recent power ratings, you know, about a third of a point favored over Alabama on a neutral field. So uh, we're a little uh, different than most there, but, you know, very, very tough draw for a first-time head coach. That's a game that, you know, Notre Dame is is a pretty big underdog already, and there, you know, are some other really tough matchups, as Notre Dame often has. They play Clemson, do get uh, the Tigers at home, uh, USC, of course, we expect to be much improved. That'll be on the road at the end of the season. Um, but there are some tricky games in there, you know, mixed in as well. North Carolina, BYU, uh, Stanford, you know, jumps up. We just talked about how they beat Oregon last year. They jump up and uh, play teams really tough at times. Um, there's some reason to be optimistic about Boston College and Syracuse at times, you know, the, the change in offense there. Marshall, we mentioned, we're really high on. Um, in the Sun Belt, and and unfortunately, it seems like Ali won't be uh, able to play against Notre Dame. But still, you know, should be uh, Notre Dame will will have its handful at times. Will be challenged at times, um, and so you know, the eight and a half win total doesn't seem very high. You know, based on Notre Dame's recent history, um, similar, like I said, to Oregon, I would not be at all shocked if uh, Notre Dame's able to get through the schedule nine and three, maybe even 10 and two, if, you know, Clemson uh, doesn't bounce back on offense quite, uh, you know, after, after a down year last year, or USC isn't quite ready um, to, to, you know, be the team that we think potentially they could be. Um, there's, there's certainly every possibility that Notre Dame gets nine or 10 wins. Um, however, there's in addition to just sort of the newness of a, you know, head coach, which sometimes uh, I, I tend to think, okay, there's probably a, a situation where coaching may cost, you know, a team a game when there's a, a first time first year head coach, but also there are a couple of personnel issues uh, to worry about. You have a first year starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner, has a ton of talent, ton of promise. Um, there's never been a starter before. Um, also, some injuries have really hit the receiving core hard. Uh, they just lost um, a returning starter, Avery Davis, to an ACL injury for the second uh, consecutive year. They've had some other guys limited in fall camp. Joe Wilkins is out with a foot injury. Uh, Deion Colsey has been limited uh, with a knee injury, um, you know, Mitchell Evans at tight end, Kane Barong at, at tight end, both have uh, had some injuries, uh, which hurts the depth behind you know one of the very best tight ends in the country in Michael Mayer. Um, but there's going to be a little bit of a you know potential issue, or at least a, a lack of depth um, at receiver, and you know the running backs uh, have have been dealt with injuries as well. Logan Diggs, it sounds like, is almost, if not, you know, back to full speed, but he's been limited in fall camp and, and, uh, you know, dealing with an injury as well. And plus, you know, he and Chris Tyree and uh, Aldrich Estim 
are competing to replace Kyron Williams, a, a fifth round draft pick. So a um, little bit of a, a potential or at least you know experience drop off, if not a talent drop off at that position. Um, offensive line, another injury, you know, Jarrett Patterson has, has been banged up. Um, their highest rated offensive linemen, according to our numbers, uh, one of their best and most versatile. So, you know, if these things don't work themselves out, um, there are certainly some depth concerns. Uh, the receiver, you know, position first and foremost, uh, just sort of a lack of, options you know lack of potential playmakers that that gives me some pause i do think that notre dame will be again one of the you know top 10 to 15 defenses in the country guys like isaiah uh, foskey you know all-american potential uh, 100 rated player 12 production points last year counting up all his pressures and sacks and and just a really really productive player uh jason uh adamiola also highly productive last year justin adamiola as well uh, up front, you know, one of the better defensive lines in the country, top 10 unit in our talent ratings for sure. They ranked 11th in defensive line performance last year. Uh, the linebacker core is solid, experienced, uh, hopefully a little bit healthier with the return of uh, Maris Lufau, who missed most of last year, all of last year, I guess. Um, he's expected to compete for a starting role. And though, you know, guys like Cam Hart, another, you know, person working through some injury issues in fall camp um that secondary is is uh, got a chance to be quite good as well three full-time returning starters plus they also get brandon joseph who was you know playing at all at an all-american level uh at northwestern his first couple of years and, and is transferred in so i i do believe that you know like i said nine ten wins is certainly very very possible um, however, if some of these, you know, health concerns, if some of these depth issues, and then also just sort of a little bit of the unknown and kind of expect the unexpected with a, with a first year head coach, top 20, you know, rated schedule in the country. Um, there certainly are some breathers, you know, in there, UNLV, Navy, they shouldn't trouble, you know, struggle with too much. Uh, but a lot of tough games, a lot of close projected point spreads, um, games that could go either way, like North Carolina, like BYU, uh, you know, even Syracuse is within a touchdown since that game is on the road. So um, some tough, tough matchups, some losable games, uh, plenty of winnable games as well. But uh, again, with a first time first year head coach, I'm probably, you know, would rather be on the under, uh, even though the over is, is definitely within reach. Xavier, your thoughts on Notre Dame? Like Nick said, probably a team where you want to take the under on a first-year head coach and all that good stuff. But the talent is always there. It's always going to be at Notre Dame. So uh, what do you think for 2022? Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to go right ahead and say I'm taking the under. Uh, I just feel like this team has at least four games in which they'll lose next year, and I think they'll drop another one, whether that be – you know, uh, against Boston College or, uh, again, you know, or we're one going to Syracuse. I've, I've talked, I think, ad nauseum now about going to Syracuse is not easy whatsoever. Obviously, they also play Cal, which is going to be one heck of a game defensively. Uh, that might be a 17 to 10 slobber knocker, you know, for some of our old fashioned guys who like those kind of games. Cal versus Notre Dame, uh, put it on your list. 
because defensively, this team is going to be great. I, I think this team might be one of the best defenses in college football. Uh, it's going to be a really good test against Ohio State's offense because I think it'll be like almost best best against best in that regard with with you know with them coming in. But I just don't know what Notre Dame's offense is going to be able to do this year. Um, outside of Michael Mayer, uh, I, I'm just not a guarantee on that roster. On that roster, there's not a single guarantee there. Uh, obviously, Jared Patterson may have been one, but obviously he got hurt. Uh, you know, Tyler Buckner, I, I'm not 100% sure is the guy just yet. Obviously, he's going to have to show us. Um, he couldn't, you know, obviously he was a true freshman last year, so him beating out Jack Cohn wasn't really something to t- really, in my opinion, to take in. Uh, but, you know, I'm excited to see who or what, you know, Marcus Freeman decides to do at the quarterback position. Does he decide to go with Tyler all year, good or bad, ups or downs, doesn't matter? Or does he give some opportunities to Drew Pine or, uh, you know, uh, Steve, uh, I'm going to say Angeli, who they, who, uh, who transferred in but is also a freshman. So I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I just – at the quarterback position, I feel like it's wide open right now. Yes, Tyler Buckner obviously has the job, but this could all change if, you know, three games in they've struggled to win and they're sitting at one and two, right? And, they've, and they've, lost, they've, mm, they've lost to Cal and Ohio State at that point. So I'm not 100% sure what this Notre Dame team will look like offensively. Their defense is going to keep them in, what, 85, 90% of the ball games that they're in. Uh, the only two offenses here that I see that I think would genuinely give their defense uh, a, you know, a problem are at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, and that's going to Ohio State and to USC. Um, so those are two guaranteed losses. The game against Clemson, we have to see what their quarterback situation is beforehand. Um, and obviously the game against BYU uh, being at Allegiant Stadium, being in a neutral site, quote unquote, uh, you know, I think you know, lends itself to what BYU has shown itself. Obviously, Notre Dame has a bye week going into that game, so that should also help them if they need to make any adjustments or decision-making, you know, roster changes going into that ball game. I'm just not super excited for Marcus Freeman's first year. I think we should take it with a grain of salt what happens this season. Uh, He wasn't a guy that brought in a ton of transfers, so I think he believes in the guys that he has there. He had the 76 transfer uh, rating. Uh, that That kind of just tells you. He either believes in the guys that he has or just wasn't able to hit the ground uh, hard enough when it came to transfers uh, this year. You know, obviously, Brandon Joseph being the big guy, being the big fish that he brought in. But obviously, that helps the defense. You know, and I think their biggest concern at this moment has to be offense uh, when you look at this roster. So I'm going to go with the under. I I think that this is a team that still wins eight games, seven at the absolute least, just because I think that Notre Dame is still vastly more talented than the rest of their schedule. But don't be surprised if this team starts off one and two, losing to Ohio State and Cal. Uh, and, and, you know, they're two and two going into the game against BYU. I wouldn't be shocked in the slide, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and, and once again, I think the teams that are currently ranked on their schedule, Ohio State, BYU, Clemson, and USC, are going to be the games that, you know, I'm not going to pencil in guaranteed losses, but I think at, at best, at best, they go one in three in those ball games. Hopefully I'm wrong. I love Marcus Freeman. I think he's a guy who, who is going to be able to have Notre Dame buy in. I, I love the energy, energy that he's coming with. Uh, there's like this new energy around coaches that I'm loving seeing him, Beamer. They both are coming, you know, are, are players, coaches, and you can see that with, you know, how the kids are reacting to them being at the universities. So I love him. I wanted to, I want to see him succeed uh, at such a big university, obviously with him being there for so long. Uh, I just don't think this first year is going to be, you know, kumbaya. All right, let's go over to the next squad up Michigan here, uh, Michigan, everything finally came together despite what, uh, Xavier and I have been saying for a little while, everything came together. Uh, it all came up Michigan last year uh, as him and uh, Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines beat Ohio State, made the playoff, 
12 and two season. Uh, and their only losses were to Michigan State and Georgia in the playoff. Nine and a half is the DK win total. We have them at nine and three. So officially under the nine and a half. But for Michigan, Nick, the Wolverines have two new coordinators and must replace five NFL draft picks, including two first rounders. However, some in the national media think Michigan is still a playoff caliber team. Are we too low at number 13 for the Wolverines in 2022? I am nervous that we're too low. Um, I, you know, hear a lot of smart people, people who are numbers based, people who are most definitely not, um, that are very high on Michigan. Um, think that, you know, perhaps it's too much to ask to beat Ohio state two years in a row. Um, but that, you know, one loss is certainly possible. Playoff contention is definitely uh, on the table. Um, the offense, you know, could be uh, just as good, if not better, than the unit that ranked 12th nationally in offensive team performance. Uh, they've got multiple quarterbacks back. Kate McNamara, the starter, um, has been pushed by J.J. McCarthy uh, to the point where they haven't officially, you know, named a starter yet. Um, at running back, you know, Blake Corum had a big, big year last year. Uh, Hassan Haskins was drafted in the fourth round, um, but there's, you know, a lot of buzz for a really highly rated uh, sophomore. Donovan Edwards um, only played, you know, 130 snaps, got got action in, in 12 games last season. But um, there's some thought that he might emerge as as the uh, go-to running back and, and carry a, a little bit heavier workload than Blake Corum. And either way, um, both of those guys are, are going to be um, just uh, you know, have the potential to be very, very productive on the ground. And the rushing game ranked 27th last year in, in team performance um, would not surprise me if this is a top 20 rushing attack, uh, maybe even a little bit better. Uh, Ryan Hayes was an all big 12 or excuse me, all big 10 uh, tackle. He is back, one of three returning starters. They also added um, probably the best uh, center transfer, one of the best offensive linemen transfers in uh, Alusigan Oluwakmi. Uh, my apologies if, if I uh, mispronounced that, but transfer from Virginia, another uh, you know all-conference caliber player. So the offensive line should be in really good shape from an experience standpoint, and also you know just from pure talent. Um, they rank 10th nationally in average 247 rating uh, at the offensive line position um, and, and number eight in our uh, position and unit ratings just in, in position strength at that that spot. So uh, should be in, in you know, just just the, the offense, even though this was a little bit more of a defensive team. I mean, both units were good. Like I said, 12th on offense, they were 10th defensively in team performance. Um, but it seems to me that the offense is, is built to, but also will be asked to um, carry the, the load a little bit more uh, for Michigan this year, especially if they are going to, you know, contend in the big 10 again and, and uh, make it back or, or at least make a run at a playoff spot. Uh, also good to see, uh, Ronnie Bell back in, in healthy. He only played uh, one game last year and, um, you know, really sort of uh, looked like he was in store for a big year. They were able to, 
to bring him back. And um, they've got some playmakers at, at that receiver position. Both starting tight ends are back as well. So plenty of talent to work with. Defensively, you know, there's a lot more to replace. You mentioned two first-rounders, um, Aiden Hutchinson, Heisman runner-up, I believe, wasn't he? Second overall pick uh, in the uh, most recent NFL draft. Daxon Hill was the 31st pick. There was also a top 45 pick who would have probably been a first-rounder had he not been injured. David Ajabo, um, who was you know, one of the most productive um, edge rushers in the country uh, and just so happened to be playing across from you know, maybe the most productive uh, defensive end or, or edge defender in the country. So um, that's a lot of talent to replace. Uh, there were three starters from that unit who, uh, four actually, who, who uh, also signed as undrafted free agents. So a really, really talented defense that's going to have to fill some holes. And it's an inexperienced group just as, uh, you know, in terms of uh, full-time starters who are back. Only three, one at each level, return. That's Mazzy Smith up front, Junior Colson at linebacker, and DJ Turner at corner. Uh, but, you know, one of the benefits of having such a great year last year, they were able to get some guys in, get some snaps during blowouts, and also they, you know, rotate uh, pretty well also. So guys like, you know, Chris Jenkins got an uh, important playing time experience last year, Mike Morris, Taylor Upshaw up front, um, Nakari Hill Green really flashed at times, uh, Jalen Harrell, Gamon uh, Green, uh, RJ Moten. I mean, you know, just go down the list. There, there were plenty of guys who saw 100, 200, 300, 400 snaps, got in just about every game, got even a little starting experience, um, but still just, you know, Thinking about the amount, uh, just the high-end talent that is gone um, makes me a little nervous. You know, this team ranks 116th in defensive returning production. They must replace nearly 55% of their total production. And, and again, not just talking starters, but um, that's a lot of snaps. That's a lot of games played, a lot of just uh, experience that 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 is you know walked out the door and michigan is still talented um every position group you know average 247 rating is in the top 15 in the country uh however we adjust that raw talent number for experience and production and we get some units that you know don't stack up nearly as well and, and certainly they've got the potential but right now michigan has the 55th rated d-line group in the country 71st at linebacker 41st at db and and we're probably underrating uh that group um but with a lot of inexperience new coordinator on that side of the ball uh it, it just it makes me a little bit nervous um michigan should be three and oh in the non-conference no you know power five opponents uh, in those first three weeks of the season, all home games, um, but they will be tested, you know, on the road at Iowa early in Big Ten play at home against Penn State, Michigan State, who they have continued to, you know, just just <laughs> really struggle to find a way to beat Michigan State. Uh, and then, of course, the season finale at Ohio State, um, Nebraska team we'll talk about a little bit later could 
you know, be a, a real bounce back team, could be a thorn in the side, not a great draw from the West. So I do think that um, Michigan is, is certainly talented enough, but the coaching turnover, the, the just sort of, um, you know, moving parts, new faces that they're having to uh, rotate in um, both on staff and on field make me again, just, uh, I think, uh, happy to be on the under. We do have Michigan favorite in 11 games. They have a talent edge in 10 games. Our stats only model loves it. You know, 11 uh, games favored there, but it just seems like uh, there are some losable games. Iowa, Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State. You get, you know, a, a, a game you're probably supposed to lose in Ohio State. You just have to trip up uh, a couple more times against some really, really talented teams that have a similar, um, you know, similar roster set up uh, that that have the potential to, to knock them off. So similar to the last two teams we mentioned, probably similar to, you know, the next 12 as we finish up, um, there are a lot of reasons to expect another competitive team, and I won't be uh, shocked with another double-digit winning season. Um, but this is one that I think I'd rather be on the under than the over. I know Xavier would always like to be on the under, and uh, as far as uh, Jim Harbaugh is concerned, so is that where you, is that where you're sticking, or are you going over because there is a lot of talent on this team, and they did put it together last year? Nope. <laughs> nope. nope. We're, we're going right back to, to where I've been. Yeah. Uh, I got another axe to grind. Okay. This 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 hasn't changed. Uh but no, I, I do I do think that this team lost way too much talent on the defensive side for me to, to go with the over with them. Um and that's really the biggest reason as to why. I feel like last year they found a perfect balance of run game and defense. And, and I think this year, unfortunately, they don't they don't have the, the defensive talent that lends you, especially on the defensive line. And that's the biggest thing, right? Like Yes, Aiden went to Ojabo probably, and Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, is the top 15 pick if he's healthy. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah, yeah he, I mean, they were talking about him in the top 10 if right. he was healthy. And he was the last uh, rookie to sign for Baltimore because he's holding out for more money, even with the torn Achilles. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. definitely a first-rounder, high first-rounder. Right, and so when, when, you, when you look at it that way, and you probably had two, you know, you had two of the top 10 best players in, in – college football last year on your defensive line, that's saying a ton that that were eligible for the draft. Excuse me. Um, and, and so I think when you, when you put all that together, it's just really hard for me to say, okay, yeah, they're going to be able to replicate exactly what they did last year, which is run the ball extremely effectively with, you know, with, with, uh, with not one, not two, but they also still did use Edwards last year. So three running backs at, at a time. And on top of that, you're going to get extremely good, you know, defensive line play all season. And, and, and even in the most important game of the year, you're going to have Aiden Hutchinson essentially kill Ohio State's line by himself on, at times in that game. And when he's not, Ojabo is doing the extra business. I just can't see all that coming together. On top of that, I'm not confident in the quarterback situation. I don't even think they're confident in their quarterback situation. I'll be completely honest with you. I, I think Kay McNamara is the guy because he's the senior. I'm gonna be 100. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I think he would be a. If this was, if him and both JJ were both sophomores, I think you're looking at a situation as to where now it's nip and tuck. Every every play matters in spring. Every play matters in the fall. And you know, 
he makes maybe a soft decision in game one and just sees how it goes. But I think because K. McNamara has a little bit more of an understanding of the offense, he's getting the knock. And you saw last year, they flipped back and forth. J.J. McCarthy had his own offense when he was in the game. K. McNamara had his own offense when he was in the game. And I'm just not – I'm never – a fan of two quarterback systems. I'm definitely never a fan of when you have to completely change your offense and the defense knows exactly what you're running when the quarterback trots out there. Like when JJ, when JJ McCarthy trotted on the field, everybody knew that, okay, we've got the athletic guy in, make sure, you know, we're, we're, we're containing the quarterback and that he's probably going to run. And he probably ran like 70% of the time. And I'm just not a fan of that. Um, and I don't think that that's going to help them offensively this year be more explosive. And that's my biggest concern with them as well offensively is explosion. As uh, Running-wise, they'll be fine. They've got one of the better running back tandems in college football between Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. I love Donovan Edwards. I think he's great. Uh, and Blake Corum is no slouch at all. Um, but when it comes to them on the outside, obviously getting Ronnie Bell back is huge. But outside of him, can they be consistently explosive enough in some of these bigger games when their defense isn't as good as it was last year? You know, when, when they played Michigan State, their, their defense gave up a ton of explosive plays in that second half, and they couldn't, you know, counter with that. When they play Ohio State this year, are they going to be able to go, you know, toe-to-toe with them in, in explosive plays? Remember, that game was a lot closer than it, than it finished uh, in, in that first half. Ohio State just kind of, you know, Michigan just came out the better team in the second half and was better and was more uh, – you know, play better, excuse me. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of them going over into double-digit wins at nine and a half. That's a, that's a number I'm, I'm going to stay away from uh, because I would not be surprised if they dropped one to Michigan State, dropped one to Ohio State, and once and dropped one to Nebraska, which Nick was talking about. Heck, they might even drop one to Penn State, to be perfectly honest with you, this year. I just don't like the way that their defense last year was just so good for them. And then, like I said, when they played a team, and we're not going to call Georgia's offense the most amazing offense in college football. They played a team that realized what their defense was predicated on and that their secondary can keep up. Georgia dismantled it from the, you know, from the inside. They let Aiden and, and Ajabo do what they wanted to do, and they picked on those on that secondary. And I think that secondary a lot, a, a lot last year was was protected by an Aiden Hutchinson, was protected by a David Jabo. So I'm expecting for them to be better this year, especially with, you know, them having, you know, more senior laden at the nickelback position, a junior at strong safety now, a grad transfer uh, at one cornerback position and a senior at the other cornerback position, or not a grad transfer, excuse me, a grad student at uh, the other cornerback position. So I'm looking for their defense, especially their secondary to step up because there is so much turnover on the defensive side of the football. I'm not sold on their offense because I'm never sold on a team that runs a two-quarterback system. That's just how I roll. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to go under with them. A nine-win season isn't bad, but it's definitely going to bring out the naysayers. I think that that was a one-year wonder for Jet, for Harbaugh. It's definitely going to do that. All right, let's go over to the next squad up here, number 12, Tennessee. Though the Vols finished 7-6, and six, falling a 48-45 loss to Purdue in the Music City Bowl, Josh Heupel injected new life into both uh, Tennessee and its fan base in year one seven and a half is the dk win total we have uh them at eight and four so this is the one squad we'll talk about today where we actually are on the over uh hypo hendon hooker and cedric tillman led a fast-paced high school tennessee offense but with the simple system and difficult and difficult schedule will the sec catch up or can the vols continue to compete in the east what do you think about tennessee for 2022 nick i am a little bit worried that um you know opposing defenses are going to catch up a little bit um we haven't seen you know what was it 
five, 10 years ago, pace was sort of seen as a major advantage if you're able to offer, you know, uh, operate at a really, really fast pace and it doesn't get any faster uh, than Tennessee. Um, just sort of the, the way that they, you know, the, the speed at which they snap the ball, uh, nobody does it quicker. And it's something that, uh, you know, as I mentioned, is, is not quite as hot as it once was. So maybe there was a little bit of, of uh, just a, a, a little bit of a shock to the system to some opponents last year. Um, probably some opponents uh, maybe underestimated Tennessee a little bit. My, uh, expectations were very, very modest. And then they also really kind of blossomed as well. Um, eventually, once uh, Joe Milton gave way to Hendon Hooker at quarterback, uh, Cedric Tillman blossomed into a you know potential NFL draft pick. Um, they ran the ball you know, pretty well. They actually finished higher in, in uh, rushing team performance than they did passing team performance. Uh, Jabari Small, Jalen Wright um, certainly showed some good things. And, and then Tyon Evans before he transferred uh, as well. So, you know, I, I'm a little bit concerned that, um, uh, you know, the second year, for a head coach, play caller. Uh, now there's a, a full year of tape on the scheme, on, on these players. Um, I, I don't necessarily see a continued step forward, if that makes sense. You know, Tennessee didn't uh, have really very good offensive numbers at all before Heupel, uh came in. I mean, they were in the 100s in 2017, 2018, improved to the 80s in 2019, 2020 in uh, offensive team performance. And then last year shot up to 35. Um, and that's a, you know, that that's a pretty big jump. Um, but it is a, or excuse me, actually, they, they jumped up to uh, 14. So, you know, that that's a big time jump and it's going to be, difficult, I think, uh, to take it to another level. And, and there's even a little bit of a slight concern that they might take a, a, a bit of a step back. And also, you know, defensively was a, a bit of a weak spot. And, and part of that is, you know, when you play at such a fast pace, um, either score quick or get rid of the ball quick, because uh, maybe you go three and out or, or what have you. Um, and your defense is on the field a lot. And so, you know, most of our uh, stats that go into our team performance numbers are efficiency based and, and, you know, filtered for garbage time and, and, you know, not raw, uh, numbers. Um, so it's, it's not, you know, just that they were giving up a lot of points and a lot of yards, but you know, they didn't finish, uh, well, ranked 89th, for example, and, and points per drive allowed, uh, 69th in yards per pass allowed. Uh, 84th in EPA per play or, or PPA per play, predicted points added. Um, so, you know, defensively, there's certainly a lot of room for improvement if this team were to take another step. Um, and, you know, you're just also hoping that the offense, which does have to replace some, you know, uh, really talented guys. Felix Jones was third-round draft pick. Cade Mays uh, was a sixth-rounder. Um, 
And though there is a lot to like about the guys who are coming back and especially, you know, having that experience of last year, having some success, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit nervous. One, we have Tennessee as a borderline top 10 team. In fact, our most recent update, uh, they are 10th in our power rankings. They're fourth in the SEC, second best in the SEC East. So obviously we are, I mean, I feel like I've been talking a lot of negative, um, but obviously we are high on Tennessee. We have them favored in a lot of games, um, have them favored in eight and within striking distance in uh, the other four. Uh, excuse me, having a favorite in nine and, and, and striking distance in, in the other three. Tough trip to LSU. Uh, Alabama, of course, always tough. Georgia, always tough and in and, and Athens for that game. So um, they, to, to become that sort of, uh, you know, top 25 in the polls, top 10 power ranking, top 15 um, type team, you know, you, you have to play incredibly, incredibly, uh, efficiently on, on both sides of the football. And, and I'm a little bit concerned that last year the offense was almost maxed out. Um, and, you know, defensively, there's there's still quite a bit of room for improvement, even though they've got some exciting players. I mean, Jeremy Banks was uh, a tackling machine last year at linebacker. Byron Young and Tyler Barron uh, coming off the edge are maybe the best uh, group of edge rushers you know, one and two, maybe second best, you know, Alabama with, with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner is probably uh, number one, but they're in that conversation. I mean, Tennessee does have some uh, real impact players on, on both sides of the ball, but they also lost, you know, a couple of their best players uh, were on defense, got drafted as well in the back end, Delonte Taylor, second rounder, Theo Jackson, a sixth rounder. So I'm a little torn on Tennessee. Uh, we are, on the over, I, I do think that, you know, seven and a half, getting that eighth win is certainly manageable. Um, I'm just, I'm always a little bit skeptical of teams that, um, that, that just kind of get that uh, real boost in year one under a new head coach. This strikes me as a team that might actually be, you know, just as good, a little bit better um in some ways but is going to have to scratch and claw a little bit to get a better record um and you know even that florida game at home that's going to be a tough matchup kentucky of course that's at home too but uh, a a a game that tennessee is going to have to be very very careful south carolina you know on the road late in the year um that could be a improved team certainly a you know more talented team based on all the transfers that they have coming in. So um, we are optimistic. The numbers are optimistic about Tennessee. Uh, the stats model, you know, takes into account uh, two years at, at UCF for Josh Heupel um, where they were, you know, pretty good. Um, so the, the stats only model expects or, or has them favored in nine games. Um, the talent edge model, a lot more, coin flips because you know every week in the sec you're you're playing a team that's uh equally or or, or pretty close to it um talented so i'm i'm torn a little bit but i i i think that the the win total number is manageable enough that 
I feel okay about it. I think, you know, me personally, seven and five might be a little more likely than eight and four. Um, but I think that eighth win is, is possible. They just can't, you know, slip up and, and lose a game. Um, probably going to have to beat Pitt, which is a, a toss up game, you know, and can't lose uh, maybe any of those home games, Florida and Kentucky, um, that, that you've got a chance to win. Uh, so it's, it's going to be tough. They might have to scratch and claw and, and, um, there's very, very little room for error. Um, but our projection does have them, you know, just sort of, uh, squeaking out that, that eighth win. So, uh, on the over there, think bright, you know, there, there's a lot to like about Tennessee. Um, but I'm just a little bit skeptical at, at that, you know, big number next to their name and, and, uh, I feel like it's maybe just a little bit too much too soon, if if that makes sense. Javier, your thoughts uh, here. I mean, Tennessee, we might be a little bit too hyped on them here, um, but, uh, you know, I think Nick talked him down enough. So what do we think about uh, uh, Tennessee in 2022? Yeah, uh, I think Nick kind of hit it on the head, right? He, I think they, I won't say they maxed out their offense, but even if I were to say that, I feel like this year is about mastering their offense. I feel like last year, a big reason as to why they weren't able to maybe hit the heights that they thought they could with, with as, as explosive as an offense that they had is because they didn't really master the small parts, you know, just running the football, time, you know, management, clock situations being able to recover after missing big plays. Heck, the Georgia game could have been completely different if they just hit on a couple of big plays at the beginning of that ball game. Like, there were there were games where I felt like, you know, Tennessee had a, had a grasp, and then they just lost it. Obviously, the, the, the Ole Miss game comes to mind where I feel like they just kind of lost and imploded in that ball game, obviously involving a bottle of mustard and some golf balls. But I just feel like, you know, at the end of the day, the, this year's about, you know, mastering what they're able to do. Because you're right, Nick, yes, Everybody now has them on film. So they're going to have to add wrinkles. Everybody saw that there were some plays last year, and I brought this up on the podcast, that they were not even running routes on the other side of the field. It was just one route. It was just two routes, two receivers, and they were essentially taking breaks because that's how fast their offense was moving. Was moving. You don't think defensive coordinators realized that and realized they might be able to shift an extra guy over in the formation to be able to help out in those situations? Absolutely. So, like, I think – a big thing for Hypo this year is to no longer be the new guy on the block and be able to kind of add wrinkles and and not be caught off guard uh, and not expect teams to just be caught off guard this year with what they're doing with their offense. The other piece is Hendon Hooker has to make that next step. I mean, you were a great story last year. You know, you were you were an amazing you know player for for large stretches of the year, but you've got to be able to do the small things, take care of the football being sure that you can not only hit the big play, but also hit the intermediate stuff, keep the drives going. That was something that I think he could he could definitely improve on because in the games in which they lost last year, I genuinely felt like he just didn't hit the stuff that he was – he didn't hit the inter- intermediate stuff. He, he didn't take what the defense was giving him and oftentimes was just looking for the big play. And that's great when it's working, but when it's not, you've got to find other ways to win ball games. Um, and that's their next step. I, I think that this is a team, and obviously Tennessee's been a team that I, I, I loathe, but they've also been an extremely talented team over the last couple of years. They just haven't been able to put it all together. And when for another year in a row, I feel like I'm saying that again, can they put it all together? Love Cedric Tillman. He's going to be a menace. He's going to be annoying, uh, you know, all year. You know, I think Hendon Hooker, once again, has to make that next step for me. Their defense has players on it, but they've always had talented guys. 
can those talented guys turn into actual, you know, can develop into actual uh, playmakers on a consistent basis, not just, you know, against your lower level sides in uh, the, the SEC. And that's my biggest question for them. And I'm circling that game against Florida at Neyland Stadium as their barometer game. Obviously, they play Pitt earlier in the year. But even if they lose that game to Pitt, I'm not in panic stations because Pitt's defense is just that good and Keaton Slovis could just end up being that hot this season. So you really never know. But that game against Florida again in Knoxville, you know, Florida coming in with, I think, less than stellar expectations. Everybody's kind of just, you know, they'll be okay, but nobody's expecting them to be great. That's a game that Tennessee has to show not only that they're good, but that they're willing to compete within the conference. This is a game that they lost to Florida last year pretty handedly, 38-14, to 14, ugly loss. I mean, I think that it kind of ended up becoming a, a narrative for them last year. They couldn't beat the better, the better teams in the SEC. The only, you know, the team that they did that was uh, was up there was Kentucky, right? But they lose to Florida, they lose to Ole Miss, they lose to Alabama, they lose to Georgia. Um, and they lost to Pitt, obviously. So I, I think that this is a team, when I look at their, you know, non-conference, like, like I said, they may lose to Pitt, they may not. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Uh, I think this is a team that can win eight games, but they've got to show me early in the season that they're not just going to be same old Tennessee when they allow the, the, the teams with, quote-unquote, bigger names in the conference – you know, like a Florida, like an LSU to stick around in ball games um, and, to, and to, you know, end up winning those games because they couldn't finish them off because they couldn't, you know, be the LSU team that right now talent wise isn't even on the same level as them. Uh, and that's probably been the, the case for the last two years. Uh, so I think Tennessee and Hypo can move in the right direction. I'll be it'll be fun to watch and see if they can. And if they can put the new wrinkles in the offense that will allow them, you know, that extra bit that they didn't have last year in some of those ball games that once again, if they start, if they hit, they missed a touchdown on the very first drive against Georgia last year, wide open. And if they hit it, who knows what that game looks like? Because to be honest with you, Tennessee's offense was moving on Georgia's defense in that first in that first uh, first quarter. So I'm looking to see if Tennessee can make that next step under Heupel, um, and he doesn't get kind of burnt out, kind of what we saw a little bit from Mike Leach in his first year at Mississippi State. He had some really high highs. He also had some really low lows uh, in that first season as well. And I understand offensive gurus are offensive gurus, but in the SEC, unfortunately, it's a narrative, but you have to learn how to play defense and you have to learn how to run the ball effectively. And if you can do those two things, Tennessee can absolutely win eight to nine games next year. If not, this is absolutely going to be another seven uh, seven and five year for them. This is how you know Tennessee has improved. And we don't release the video of us recording this ever, but this is the first time in the last three years that Xavier has not used the trash can Tennessee yes. logo <laughs> while speaking about Tennessee. So yeah, sure. uh, that's how you know they're getting a little bit better. But let's go to the last team. We're going to preview here before talking about some week zero games. Texas A&M uh, checking in here at number 11. The Aggies beat Alabama but finished 500 conference play, conference play after losses to Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and LSU. And didn't play in the bowl game following an eight and four regular season, eight and a half is their DK win total. We have them at seven and five. So well under that uh, eight and a half, most of the off season discussion, Nick uh, around Texas A&M has been about this number one recruiting class in Jimbo Fisher, verbal sparring with Nick Saban, but what's in store for the Aggies on the field in 2022? What can we expect from that? I think, you know, Similar in some ways to Tennessee, a really talented roster. Uh, in fact, you know, depth-wise, I think they're in a better spot. Um, but a, another very tough schedule. 
Uh, Texas A&M actually ranks second uh, with the second toughest schedule in college football, according to our uh, numbers, where they are favored in a lot of games. They are actually favored uh, in 11 you know, regular season matchups in our, our main uh, projection model. But so many are you know, between 50% and 60% projected win percentages. Um, you know, Miami, 56%. Arkansas, 57%. Mississippi State, 52%. South Carolina, 60%. Ole Miss, 63%. Florida, 58%. Auburn, 50%. LSU, 54%. And you add those up and you get, you know, half a win per, um, that's, that's uh, you know, <laughs> if, if you don't do better than, um, you know, find ways to win more coin flips. I'm, I'm struggling with my words. We're recording this a little bit later than we're used to. I'm, I'm about ready for uh, my bedtime. So I'm, I'm kind of stumbling here a little bit. That's my but, fault. Uh, no, no, only, no, only late no. availability. But no, grandpa, no. come on, you can stay up late. You can do it. I promise. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But, uh, you know, so, so they're favored in 11 games, but we don't expect them to win 11 games. The number comes out to 7.2 just because, you know, you, you win games, you've got a 50% chance of winning about 50% of the time. And, and even if you do a little bit better than that, they get, you know, plus one, plus two, um, it's, it's going to be difficult to get to that eight and a half. So this is actually one, um, it's our biggest edge. It's, it's you know, of, of this particular show, of this subset of teams, uh, we are more than a full point, uh, more than a full win under here. And there are some reasons to like Texas A&M. Um, oddly enough, I think that one of the, the more interesting things we talked in our last show in the Auburn, Auburn preview, that Zach Calzada has, um, you know, transferred from A&M where he threw for over 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns, beat Alabama, um, transferred to Auburn, and now all indications recently are that he's running third in the quarterback uh, competition. So Calzada, who got the job because Haynes King got injured, seems like you know Texas A&M was able to win with a quarterback that's just, you know, there's some evidence to say not that great. Um, Isaiah Spiller at running back, thousand yard rusher, you know, quite good fourth round draft pick, but Jalen Watermeyer, who was really, really productive, um, graded out as one of the least athletic tight ends in NFL draft history went undrafted. Uh, they lost a first round pick at, at tackle, but, um, you know, the rest of, of the, or, or three, I should say three, uh, offensive line starters return. And then there's some other. Um, you know, experienced guys as well. They lost some talented players. They lost a first-round pick on the offensive line, um, but they were able to, you know, do some really good things last year. Certainly, lost some games they probably uh, could or, or should have won. Um, but beat Alabama. You know, won eight games in the regular season. Very competitive week in and week out with maybe a little bit of a uh, some smoke and mirrors perhaps at the quarterback position. So if Haynes King, who had won that job um, comes out and, and, you know, is fully healthy and, and able to play at a higher level, then perhaps Texas A&M will you know, be very much in the mix in the SEC West. Um, and if you're in the mix in the SEC West, then, you know, the playoff isn't that far out of reach. 
Max Johnson is, you know, a transfer with 14 career starts under his belt in the SEC, um, has been productive at times. Not sure he's going to win that job, you know, outright, but um, seems like they've got two quarterbacks they can win with uh, there, plus a five-star freshman, one of the highest-rated quarterback recruits in the country. So it's possible they've upgraded at that position. Um, even though Spiller is gone, Devin A-Chain is one of the fastest and, and most exciting running backs in the country. They've obviously recruited incredibly, incredibly well. Um, they're young, but you know the defensive line, even though no starters are back, uh, that is, in terms of raw talent, average 247 rating and rivals rating, the most talented unit in the country, most talented defensive line in the country. Um, you know, they have recruited at a top uh, five level in the secondary, a top 15 level nationally at linebacker. And there's, there is, you know, plenty of talent. Um, defensively, you've got a new play caller, but he inherits, uh, you know, some key pieces or at least some very talented pieces, especially, you know, experienced on the back end. Um, but a top 10 unit across the board in team performance last year, sixth overall, fifth against the pass and 10th against the run. I'm just worried that the schedule doesn't set up very well. Um, App State is, you know, tougher than uh, a lot of people probably think. You know, that's that's not a guaranteed win. It's a, it's a win that Texas A&M or a game that they should win, but it's not a guaranteed win. Same maybe for Miami. Both of those games are at home. Arkansas on a neutral field. Arkansas is a top 20 team, as we've mentioned. At Mississippi State, Mississippi State beat them in College Station last year, right? At Alabama, a revenge game, you know, uh, three road trip games in a row, even though there's a, a bye week in there. But you have to go to South Carolina, which is a long trip and another you know talented team potentially on the rise. Um, Florida in the you know crossover uh, SEC West to East uh, matchups there. Well, by the back half of the season, perhaps uh, some of the newness there maybe has worked itself out and, you know, always difficult to win at Auburn, regardless of what's going on uh, off the field, LSU at the, I mean, that that's half a dozen games are potential losses. I don't expect them to lose six games. Um, but again, you know, if those coin flips are between 50 and 60% of a, a you know, projected win percentage. Um, you win those games only 50 or 60% of the time. So eight wins is is probably uh, maybe a, a little more likely. Eight and four, again, is, is probably a little more likely than seven and five. Um, but still, you know, it, it would not surprise me if this is a team that is just as good on the field and has that high-end potential to where they could certainly beat anybody um, that they play. You know, they were 10th overall in team performance last year. They might play at a top 15 level still, despite, you know, ranking 89th in overall returning production, 77th on offense, 93rd on defense. They might be a top 15 team on, on the field, especially if that quarterback position is just as good or better. Um, but the record, the strength of schedule, the sort of uh, the way it stacks up and where they have to go and, and, you know, when they have to play these teams, man, you know, 
four losses seems seems about right uh four and and maybe even five so um don't be shocked if they knock off a top 10 top five team at some point but also you know just sort of the the week in and week out gauntlet that they've got to go through um don't be surprised if they lose one or two similar to last year that you think man they you know texas a.m probably should have won that game I hope, obviously, that uh, we are not going to be very high and they don't play at that top 10 level um, with a tough SEC schedule. What do you think, Xavier? Um, they obviously they didn't overachieve last year, finishing 500 in the SEC. They did have the big signature win in Alabama. Now it's all about putting it together and getting you know these top recruiting classes right. definitely help. I'm just not sure if they're there yet. They're not. And and that's no slouch to what Jimbo's been able to do there in the recruiting trail. Uh, and that's no slouch to what they're going to be bringing in as far as young freshman talent. No, don't get me wrong. These guys have brought in some absolutely amazing players. Walter Nolan, Shamar Stewart, Evan Stewart, some just, I mean, menaces. Um, but I, I don't think that this is a team that this year puts it all together. I'm not a big believer in Haynes King. You know, call, call, call me a skeptic. But even with him, you know, getting hurt last year, what you saw in the spring game and what you saw, you know, early in that, you know, in that year, I just I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion. This kid was going to hit the ground running in SEC play at all. Um, you know, I think Zach Calzada played as perfect as you possibly could against Bama. Typically, that's what it takes to beat Bama in a game. Um, and he played as perfect as you possibly could. You know, the, the kid was amazing. Um, even down to the last touchdown pass, he threw under under duress. And I know he's not there anymore, but that's what kind of that's what kind of game it took for them to win against a team like that last year. Um, you know, I talked about uh, whether that was I think I don't know if that was last episode or two episodes ago, how Arkansas has played them relatively well and not in, in uh, neutral side games, you know, at, at AT&T Stadium over the last couple of years. And I'm not a big fan of A&M in that game. Uh, I think Miami is going to be one heck of a team this year. I love Love Tyler Van Dyke. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in college football. I, I think he's a guy who's going to take college football by storm this year. He took him by storm in the last four or five games last year, but I think this year he puts his real stamp on the uh, on you know what he's going to be able to do going forward at Miami. Um, I don't. I think Nick, you, you talked about the rematch against Alabama. That game's going to be ugly. That game's going to get ugly. I, I think. I think you're looking at a game that's very similar to that of when uh, uh, last year Ole Miss versus Alabama, where Lane Kiffin came out overly hype and you know then that game was a dumpster fire by the second half yeah i'm a coasted uh you know saban is not a guy who very rarely is embarrassed on the field and off the field it's not something that happens um and so i i think alabama that game is going to get pretty ugly and i just don't see them putting together a really good season i'll be perfectly honest with you i absolutely agree with nick i think this is a 75 ball club uh i, I absolutely worst uh, i'm gonna go with the under I don't like the quarterback situation. Uh, I don't care how much talent that they presumably have on the outside. Anaya Smith is a guy who we think might even take that next step this year. Uh, but how many times has uh, – and, and, Scott, you can tell me. How many times has A&M brought in amazing receivers and they've done absolutely nothing? I mean, absolutely yeah. nothing. You know, I mean, not, uh, not as many times as LSU, but, yeah. Man. I mean, that's fair. That, that's fair. But, you know, you know, Speedy Noyle comes to mind as another guy that they brought in that was a five-star. He was, I think he was the second-best receiver in the country that year. Came in, I think, at – 500 yards in his, his entire A&M career. I, I'm not sold on just bringing in five stars, fixes your overall problems. And that's because you haven't fixed your quarterback situation. Max Johnson, in my opinion, will end up getting that job at some point in the year. Um, and maybe Max Johnson's able to put together, a, you know, a pretty good year for them. I think Max Johnson was 
kind of underrated at LSU. I think he had to put together, you know, put out a lot of fires back there in that pocket, trying to just do what he could with him and just Keishon Booty um, and uh, Davis Price last year. So I, I think when you look at this team, ton of names, a ton of names, but I'm not sold on them whatsoever. Um, and I think they're a year, maybe two years away from putting it all together and showing us, you know, maybe it's two recruiting classes in a row that, that Jimbo puts together that you're all of a sudden looking at this team like, okay, all right, this is going to be their year that they finally wake up. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, and is not looking nearly as good on the recruiting trail as they did last year. That, that number one class, bona fide, best class of all time staple has not helped them this year. <laughs> They're currently ranked 47. Um, and I know it's early, but AM only has one five star out of the out of that, out of that uh, entire you know recruiting class right now. So I wouldn't expect you to see them bring in almost 10 five stars to what they did this year. Uh, but give them a year, maybe even two. I think Jimbo's moving in the right direction. But as of right now, I'm not sold on Haynes King. I'm not necessarily sold on that defense, um, to be perfectly honest with you. Heck, one of the names you didn't even mention, I don't know if you mentioned uh, Nick, uh, DeMarvin Liel, another one that just didn't show up last year. You know, he came into the year as a guy who, you know, could have made himself a top 15, top 20 pick. And instead, he fought, he fell, he plummeted, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, he was a guy on day three, me and Scott were like, yeah, you got to go pick him now. Yeah, so, um, so, you know, I think that there's something to be said there. And I don't know if that's necessarily Jimbo's fault, but when you have those many guys that came into the year that you felt that were going to just take that next step, you named Wordemeyer, uh, obviously I named Liao, that you thought were going to take that next step and they didn't, and, and even more so they regressed, that's kind of weird to me. So I'm looking at what they're going to do this year. You know, I'm not a huge fan of their scheduling at all. Um, but like I said, AM is a team that has to put a full season together before I start buying into what they ultimately do. All right, let's go to week zero and talk about some on-field action we have for this Saturday, gentlemen. I'm excited to talk about actual on-field games. And uh, look, when when we look at these games, I don't know that any of them, you know, are appointment watching, you know, but we are excited that we're just getting something. We're getting a hit here is basically what it is. We're getting a taste of some football. So uh, we have seven FBS games to talk about. The first one, UConn at Utah State, 27 and a half point favorites. Blake Anderson's Aggies are at Utah State. Um, I think this number is probably too big. The total's 59 and a half. That might be too big too. Uh, look, UConn is not good. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you that UConn is good. But I am is going to say that they're not four touchdowns worse than uh, Utah State with Jim Mora at the helm, I don't think. So, Nick, what do you think about this game? Who do you have in it? And this line is way too big, right? This is one of those you know, early season lines that it's going to be way off, right? Well, it's certainly one that our uh, first round of projections thinks is a little too big. And it's not UConn necessarily. I mean, UConn is... Uh, ranked 130th out of 131 FBS teams in our uh, current uh, power rankings. Um, so expectations are not super high. I mean, the projected team performance for UConn is 131 this year. So uh, the, you know, it, it's not that we think that UConn is just too good to get blown out 
by 28 points. It's more that Utah State, even though they're coming off a double-digit winning season, um, even though they were Mountain West champs, you know, maybe the idea of or, or just sort of the outside perception of how strong Utah State is uh, might just be a little bit inflated. And, you know, they're certainly bringing back some key pieces. Logan Bonner at quarterback. There have been some whispers. I mean, he's always dealing with an injury or two. Um, but there there have been some whispers about him at quarterback. Uh, but, you know, even if he is limited, um, they're probably going to be in pretty good shape. Calvin Tyler ran for 900 yards last year. Um, they graduated some talented receivers, productive receivers. Devin Tompkins, one of the best in the country. Uh, but they've, you know, supplemented with some interesting um, transfers, Brian Cobbs, Xavier Williams, uh, Justin McGriff is back. Hearing a lot of buzz about Kyle Van Leeuwen, who is, uh, you know, played just a little bit last year, but seems to be um, kind of in line for uh, that Tompkins role. But uh, Utah State, despite having a lot of experience back, did not grade very well on the offensive line last year. Um, according to their official depth chart, we'll be starting a true freshman at right guard. And though UConn, you know, they're, they're by far most talented player from last year, um, is gone. Uh, the just, uh, you know, the, the, uh, matchup there is within UConn's range. Um, they, they shouldn't get you know, dominated up front. Um, Eric Watts, pretty good player on the defensive line. They brought in, you know, Sequoia McDuffie, who is a starter, uh, or at least, you know, played a lot at uh, Old Dominion, was productive there. Um, linebacker core for UConn is, is a team strength. Uh, so I think that front seven, you know, matches up decently well threw a wrench into things a little bit that their defensive coordinator, Lou Spanos is uh, taking a personal leave. A lot of whispers going on as to sort of what led to that. But um, I, I do think that it is just, you know, too, too much. And if Utah state is able to sort of recapture what made it such an explosive offense last year, um, things could get out of hand. But I think that, you know, UConn should, with a new coaching staff, get a little bit of um, a bump, um, should, uh, you know, hopefully play a little bit better, knowing that they've got a you know new head coach, a little more excitement building. Um, they have some pieces to potentially, you know, be excited about. New quarterback, we don't know exactly who the starter is going to be, but Taquan Roberson was a four-star uh, recruit coming out of high school, transferred in. You know, there's, there's, uh, I think enough uh, excitement about UConn and a little bit, uh, uh, maybe of enough uh, transition going on at Utah State that maybe they're able to keep it, you know, within reach early on in the second half. You know, the altitude, the the talent advantage, Utah State opens it up a little bit, um, but our projection, you know, is more in the 17 range. Uh, you know, 2021. 20, certainly is, is a possibility. Uh, but yeah, we're definitely hoping that they're able to keep it within uh, the four touchdowns. How do you have this game, uh, Xavier? It, 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 I mean, look, it wouldn't be shocking if UConn got beat to death, <laughs> but 
I just don't think it's going to happen week one here under a new head yeah. coach. No, I don't think so either. I think this is a a statement loss. Is that a way to put it? You know, <laughs> you know if, oh. if you lose, if you only lose by seventeen oh. or fourteen, is that a moral, moral victory? Moral victory, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Happened. You know, I, thank I think God for UConn basketball. I mean, you, good you, lord. You start, you start your new regime off with only losing by it's two touchdowns, by four. So, I mean. Yeah, I agree with you, Scott. I, I mean, I would take this number because I think 27 and a half is just a little bit too much with the turnover that Utah State is having. Um, and as a first-year head coach, there's no way you go into your first game and you're like, guys, we're, we're going to go out there and give it our best and lose by 28. Like, there's no way. That's how you want to start off your regime whatsoever. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm taking this number if I'm a betting man. And if UConn loses to Utah State by 28 in first game of the year, all bets are off. I'm taking the over and every UConn game. <laughs> you got to right. Like this is like this is a statement. If you're a betting man, you're like, all right, cool. So if the next game says thirty, you might want to take that too. Uh, all right, let's go over to Wyoming at Illinois. Illinois is a ten-point favorite. Another total of fifty-nine and a half here. Um, this one seems more reasonable. Although I I do think that we're on mainly dogs this week. Uh, what do we think about? Or excuse me, the total is forty-four. I misread that. Uh, so My that that time. seems more like <laughs> an Illinois Wyoming game right there. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, what do we think of this game, Nick? Because, you know, I, it's funny because I was on uh, betting pros with Thor and I was reading his win total article and he's he called Illinois is such a great line. Uh, Kirkland brand, Wisconsin, which I think under Brett Bielema is pretty perfect. Right. Uh, so uh, strong defense, strong running game, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, Wyoming loses a lot this year, so it seems like this is going to be a down year for them. Is this a walk by Illinois, or can Wyoming make it a tougher game? So, based on our projections, uh, one, we are right on the line. You know, the, the one that we released to our uh, Patreon supporters, our projections on uh, Tuesday night, the line was 10. Uh, our projection is 9.87. But Wyoming is one of three Mountain West teams specifically that we'll talk about in week zero that rank, I mean, basically 129, 130, 131 in returning production across the board, offense, defense, you know, uh, and, and overall. So our uh, projections, which do, you know, it's not the, the biggest piece of the puzzle, but a big chunk of or that that roster, or excuse me, that uh, team strength rating is past performance, and we do a three-year window. It's weighted for the most recent year, and so some teams on the the extreme ends of returning production, especially if it's on the extreme negative end, it can be a little bit difficult to catch up. Especially since Wyoming's been a team that has outperformed its you know talent profile in recent years has been. Uh, you know, to a lot of bowl games in in, uh, in recent years. So we expect, based on that history, Wyoming to continue to be competitive. And they do play a style, um, you know, on offense where they slow things down a little bit. Um, they try to keep it close and, and just get into the fourth quarter with a chance to win. And Illinois is not, at least in, you know, uh, Brett Bielema, his history – is not too different from that. So you could see a scenario where they just struggle Illinois to kind of open up 
a uh, you know two touchdown three touchdown lead um just sort of based on the way you know the game plays out stylistically however illinois has a new offensive coordinator barry Liney jr uh who does have a history with brett bielema but most recently was at utsa they operate a little bit quicker pace um and are expected to operate at a quicker pace uh but yeah, I mean, our, our projection, I think, is probably a little low here. I do think that Illinois is, you know, pretty easily a, a more uh, talented team. I mean, Wyoming ranks 125th in roster strength overall. Wyoming, or excuse me, Illinois is a power five team. Um, Chase Brown is a really, really good running back. Isaiah Williams, really exciting receiver who can do a variety of things. A little bit of question on how the quarterback position is actually going to play out, but between the transfer of Tommy DeVito, the, you know, uh, still potentially dealing with a little injury, Arthur Sikowski, um, both of whom have experience, but, you know, haven't been great still, you know, we, we basically have no idea who uh, Wyoming is going to start at quarterback. Their depth chart just said to be determined, but it's probably going to be Andrew Peasley, who was a backup at Utah state the last couple of years. Um, but unless they're going to be able to, to just ride tight a swim and uh, push a, you know, Illinois defensive line that, that is a top 60 unit nationally in our roster strength numbers, I just don't know that Wyoming is, is going to be able to keep the ball long enough. Um, in addition to all the transfers that, that they had, and that was a talking point this offseason, you know, seven uh, full-time starters transferred out, most of them up to the Power Five uh, level. But they've also, Wyoming's been really hit hard with injuries this fall. Um, Gunnar Gentry is going to be out for the second consecutive year uh, with injury. Um, they've got you know multiple guys on the defensive line, including a potential starter in Keelan Cox, transfer from Alabama. Um, it, it's just a, a you know shorthanded team, a team that, just pure talent wise doesn't really stack up a little bit of a mismatch uh, and Illinois to me is a team on the rise. So I certainly understand um, why this uh, number is growing. I think it's what 11 or 12 now. I mean, it's, it's, it's continue 11 uh, according to the, the VI consensus, which is what we normally use. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it, you know, continues to creep up a little bit. Um, Illinois probably should win this game by two touchdowns. Uh, I guess our only hope being is that, you know, we just can't quite get our projection um, there based on Wyoming's uh, past results. I guess our hope is that, that they're just able to ugly it up enough um, to, to keep things close, keep it within, uh, you know, single digits into the fourth quarter and then see what happens. But I'm not super confident in that. And, you know, we don't have a big edge anyway. It's basically our projections, the same as the odds makers, uh, but we are technically on, on Wyoming. What do you think about Wyoming versus Illinois, Xavier? Do you have a big lean in this game one way or the other? Yeah, no, I think Illinois, this is a game that they have to kind of put a statement. This is a team that struggled last year in this non-conference, uh, only beating Charlotte, um, in that in that time, losing the teams, you know, losing the UTSA uh, 37 to 30. This this is an opportunity for them to get 
on track this year. Um, and really, I, I put a little bit of a statement out there. I think Nick's absolutely right. This is a team that's on the rise. We talked about that in, 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 you know a couple of podcasts ago. I think Bielema's got this team kind of not where he wants it per se, but he, you can see the you know his hands are all over this roster. You know, and the, the style in which that they want to play. He's starting to get those kids in. Those kids are developing uh, so that he can go ahead and do that. And I think that when you look at this game, this is an opportunity, week zero, to just kind of put a, you know, put a notice out there. They're like, hey, Illinois is not a basement team anymore. This is a game that two or three years ago, this might have been closer to a toss-up. Hey, two or three years ago, Miami might have even been the favorite. So I think Illinois comes into this game looking to put, you know, a little bit of a statement victory on this one um, under Bielema. I, I think this is a team, and, and you know, Nick hit, hit it around the head. I think that this is a team that we can find itself in, in the middle of the year, you know, seeing uh, or finding its way, excuse me, into the middle tier of the Big Ten this year. Uh, and I think it starts off once again with winning your non-conference games and winning them handedly. Uh, you, Wyoming is, when you, when you go to look at their roster, they really only show the two deep. That's just how thin they are. You know, I, I just think that this Wyoming team is going to struggle against this uh, against an Illinois team that's going to be able to grind it out. This is a game that you genuinely just see Illinois kind of trying to, you know, grind it out for a couple of drives. And, you know, Wyoming just doesn't have the bodies to, to stop a running a, a game. I think, I think they're going to lean on in this game. I think they're not going to allow Tommy DeVito to kind of go out there and just, like, sling the ball around. Uh, you know, that's not really his style either. He's a little bit more of a – I won't say he's a little bit more of a runner, but he has the ability to do so. Um, and I think ultimately when you look at this team – sorry, I hit my mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, but yeah, I, I think you know when you, when you look at this game, Illinois is going to try to grind it out once again, use that you know depth to their advantage. And Wyoming just does not have the bodies to stop that consistently for a full game. Um, even if Wyoming does early, I think Illinois just kind of leans on, um, and that's the only reason why I see this game even being close. Is if Illinois decides to tough it out, decides to grind out this win, um, and thus Wyoming just doesn't give up. You know, just excuse me, Illinois just doesn't have the possessions to blow them out per se. Um, so I, I, Illinois is going to win this game. I think they tried to do it handedly, uh, but the, with the, with the, with the offense that they play, I think they're going to do, it's not going to be as a, as much of a blowout as maybe people will think it will be without, you know, without Wyoming losing so much talent and not having the depth to really compete with Illinois at this level. I'm going to say that they're still going to win over 10. Uh, I don't feel confident about that. If this creeps up to 12 or even 13 by game time, I would go under that just because I don't think Illinois is a team that I still feel comfortable enough saying that they're going to win and beat teams by three scores or more. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to say over 10. But like I said, if it creeps up to 13, I'd be a little bit more weary about that number. All right, let's go to the next game up here. Charlotte at FAU. FAU is a seven-point favorite here. 58 is the total. Um FAU is favored by a touchdown in this game, but they had an epic collapse at the end of last season, Nick. Uh, Charlotte, average on one side of the ball, bad on defense. Can Charlotte make this a competitive game, or is this FAU by a touchdown pretty solidly? I kind of like Charlotte in this one, and um, if you've listened to us uh, in recent years, we, we have compared our three different uh, projection models. We have our official one that we, you know, have referenced several times tonight. We also have a talent edge model, which strips out everything but those roster strength numbers. So just you know, raw talent, but uh, weighted for experience and production. And then we have a stats only model, which is basically the complete opposite. Only takes uh, into account results from uh, the current season you know, in later weeks, but also uh, the, the previous three seasons for the team, the head coach and, and 
uh, the play callers. And in 2020, when those three lined up, it was great. In 2021, it was awful. So I'm going to track it still to, to see if, if we've improved because we have um, completely rebuilt both the stats model and the talent model. But this is this is our first of the, you know, all three agree as, as uh, sort of uh, has been referenced on Charlotte. Just just expect that, you know, FAU uh, is certainly a talented team. You know, they recruit Florida quite well, um, stack up decently well as far as uh, just the talent numbers go based on high school recruits, but also, you know, Willie Taggart and, and then also the um, regime before him have brought in some transfers also to, to kind of uh, help supplement that. So there are Power Five transfers who, you know, have a, a year or more in the system, including quarterback Nikosi Perry. Um, but also looks like they're probably going to start, you know, two first year transfers on the offensive line. Mix that with three um, returning starters. The linebacker core looks like it's it's going to have, you know, multiple, if not starters, uh, major contributors who are in their first year. So FAU, you know, is on the higher end of the group of five as far as raw talent um, or even, you know, those roster strength numbers. Charlotte doesn't have a, a great track record as far as those, you know, high school recruits. They do supplement occasionally with some transfers and, and they'll have some guys, uh, you know, the receiver core is going to have some uh, two deep guys, you know, the defense, it looks like Amir Sadiq is going to be a starter, uh, former central Michigan uh, player, um, Chase Monroe going to be a starter linebacker, you know, multiple guys in, in, in the starting lineup in the two deep, uh, in the secondary, and you mentioned, you know, they needed it because Charlotte had one of the worst defenses in the country last year, 128th in overall uh, defensive team performance, 129th against the pass, 125th against the run. But FAU, you know, wasn't the most explosive offense uh, either. You know, I think Perry does certainly give them a chance. Um, guys like LeJonte Wester, excuse me, Wester and, and Jaquan Burton, uh, our playmakers at receiver, a couple of interesting running back options, Johnny Ford, Larry McCammon, probably both going to have uh, a pretty decent role there. But they're a team that just, you know, not super efficient, ranked 100th in points per drive uh, last year, FBS opponents only, filtered for garbage time, um, 82nd in success rate, 70th in EPA per play, 65th in yards per play. So, Charlotte certainly, you know, will need to be much, much better. And the transfers probably will help a bit with that. But it's not like this FAU offense is incredibly explosive in its own right. But Charlotte, you know, even though they didn't rank that much higher, 68th in overall uh, offensive team performance, 39th passing, 68th rushing. Um, I, I do think that their offense has a little bit more, you know, of a higher upside. Chris Reynolds has been there six years by now um, has been a starter three or four of those years. Uh, Victor Tucker, former all-conference player, Grant DuBose actually uh, outperformed him last season. Elijah Spencer emerged as uh, a playmaker, as a, a, a true freshman. So the receiver core for Charlotte is one of the best in Conference USA. This is a conference game, uh, by the way. So I think that, you know, Charlotte's passing game, they, they, 
do have the ability, I think, to be balanced as well um, with guys at running back like Cedric Bird, Calvin Camp, Chevron McKirchin, uh, and you know Reynolds can run a little bit as well. I, I like Charlotte to keep it close, so I, I do think that um, you know I'm glad that our projections sort of line up on this one. Touchdown is a uh, you know I, that that seems certainly reasonable to me. We are slightly on the under. I don't know if I mentioned we were on the under for UConn, the over for uh, Wyoming, but uh, our our stats only model, which I'm really really excited about this year, actually uh, helps us with these over unders, which have been consistently. Uh, quite good the last couple of years. Um, we're slightly under the 57 and a half, but we have FAU winning the game, but more in the 30 to, uh, you know, 31, 26 range um, than, than, you know, opening up to, to more than a touchdown, double digits. That seems about right to me. I think Charlotte's going to be able to keep it close. What do you, what do you think here, Xavier? Uh, I mean, do, do you like FAU in this game? And, and Willie Taggart, he sometimes starts hot, uh, but that collapse was epic. <laughs> Charlotte seems like maybe they're going to be a little better, and they, at least they have some experience at QB. Yeah, I mean, FAU should win this game. Let's just say that, right? I, I think FAU is the more talented ball club. And this is a game that, that once again, we if FAU had been at some point more consistent with their talent, we wouldn't even be having a, talk, a conversation about this, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but I think FAU, once again, comes into a game where I think they're going to have to grind this one out. Uh, Charlotte doesn't go away. They, they've gotten better defensively, which was their biggest problem last year. Obviously, Nick uh, alluded to that earlier um, and highlighted that. And I, and I think when you when you look at FAU, my, my biggest concern with with them is you absolutely hit on the head, Nick, uh, Scott. They do start hot, but they're also really susceptible to playing down. They don't. T- they, once again, they don't use their talent to their advantage a lot of the times, and, and I'm. And I'm Concern that they'll play down to a Charlotte team that they just feel that they're better than. Um, Nikosi Perry has to hit the ground running. Um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily what their quarterback situation will be the entirety of the game. Are they going to run with just him? It, it seemed coming out of Cam that he was the guy, uh, but is he the guy if he has a couple of bad drives and it's beginning to start to try to switch things up? Um, obviously, Willie Tiger bringing Willie Tiger Jr. at that point. Um, you know, that's just to be seen. I think when Nikosi Perry should hit the ground running in this game. This should not be close. I'm just gonna say that I don't think it should be close. I think it ended. Up, I think it will be. I think Charlotte will play better. Um, I think there'll be there has already been obviously with transfers that they brought in, but I think there'll be an increased focus on just you know being better defensively, not necessarily great, but just better. Um, and I think offensively they have the talent, uh, or they have excuse me the experience to uh, to give um, Florida Atlantic some some headaches. Uh, Victor Tucker is a guy that I've been able to see in person for the last two years as they played Georgia State the last two seasons. Um, he's not a guy to sleep on. You know, he will hurt you if you allow him to. Obviously, not like I said, Chris Reynolds has been there since, you know, forever. Uh, so I, I think that he's a guy who understands the offense really well and will try to put his offense in the best situation. And if the defense can just hold on long enough, I think you find yourself in a position where Florida Atlantic might try to press at the end of this game and, and Charlotte might find a way to win this ball game. Uh, like I said, Florida Atlantic should win this game in my opinion, but if Charlotte can hold on and, and make this a, you know, and make this a, a one possession game going into the fourth quarter, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida Atlantic gives one away. All right. Next game up here. We have uh, North Texas at UTEP. Interesting game. The closest line of the week. It's North Texas by one point. Uh, But if UTEP wants to be taken seriously, if they want to have a realistic shot at a bowl game, they got to win these close ones at home, right, Nick? So uh, what do you think about this game? 
So this is another one that kind of hits uh, a certain criteria that we track pretty well. It's been um, pretty, uh, you know, good for us over the four years that we've done this when, when we think the wrong team is favored. Um, I, I do believe this line, last I looked, it actually was now um, just a pure pick em. But when we released it, uh, when, when we mentioned it to our, uh, our published four-hour uh, Patreon scores. Actually, I think it's back to one now. Just tried to look up on, on Vegas Insider. But um, yeah, we think that UTEP should win this game. And, and certainly it's not a big edge. <laughs> we have UTEP favored by less than one point. Um, so it is, you know, still a, a toss up, but this game is at home. Um, I think they're already calling it a sellout. They have just a, a few thousand seats remaining, which, you know, for the Sun Bowl uh, is is a big deal. I mean, people seem to be excited. UTEP took a big step forward last year. Um, North Texas did, you know, in the second half of the season. Um, so there's uh, if if, you know, momentum is a thing. Um, there's some, some of that, you know, on, on both sides, uh, UTEP, I think has a little bit of an edge, maybe at the quarterback position. Gavin Hardison is a 20 game starter, took some, you know, made some real strides last year. North Texas has a, an experienced starter as well in Austin Ani, but he's been, um, very inconsistent, uh, throughout his career has is, is been able to hold off the transfer of Grant Cannell uh, in fall camp. But, you know, it, it seems like a, a situation one, Ani has been in and out of the starters role um, a lot over the last couple of years. So it, it wouldn't surprise me too much if we do see uh, Gunnell. Um, and, you know, it, it's just a little bit of a uh, you worry, I think, or, or, you know, I do when you've got a quarterback who is maybe always looking over his shoulder. So um, I, I feel like UTEP, even though Hardison can be kind of boomer bust, um, they're going to stick with it. You know, he, he's the guy there. Uh, North Texas consistently pretty good running the football. They were 41st in rushing team performance last year. Um, they have four guys listed, you know, with the oars there at the, the running back position. Uh, Oscar Attaway, it'll be good to see him back. He missed all of last season, uh, was a projected starter, but was injured. Um, but, uh, you know, he'll share the load a little bit with Ikeka Rasdale, um, Isaiah Johnson, Iowa Dei, a uh, pretty talented group of receivers that North Texas has. They were really banged up at that position last season. And that I think was part of why Ani and you know kind of struggled to get going, and, and why North Texas uh, ranked 110th in passing team performance last season. Um, but that's a position of strength, and and you know should be a unit. Um, the passing game should be better, and and I think they can, you know, give UTEP some uh, some trouble potentially. UTEP is kind of young. At the you know in, in the secondary, they lost three starters who are out of eligibility on the back end, so they will be tested. Um, there's also still, oddly enough, a little bit of a question as to whether or not uh, Brian Hayward will be eligible to play. He's been trying to get an extra uh, season of eligibility and, and was listed on the depth chart earlier this week, uh, a returning starter at linebacker, but. 
not 100% sure if he's been cleared by the NCAA. Um, you know, regardless, UTEP does have a strong front seven. Praise Amawule uh, is, you know, an all-conference performer, maybe a future uh, NFL player. He's one of four returning starters up front from a unit that was, you know, pretty good. 33rd nationally in, in uh, D-line performance last season. So UTEP's going to have to find some playmakers on offense. They lost Jacob Cowing as a transfer to uh, Arizona. Uh, and, and, you know, losing him, he was a big-time playmaker. But also uh, Justin Garrett was very, very uh, dependable number two receiver as well. So they'll be looking for, you know, Tyron Smith and Ronaldo Flores who've played a bit but haven't blossomed into super productive receivers quite yet. And Flores has spent a good chunk of his career as a running back. Um, but uh, a name to know is a Juco player in uh, Kelly Akieri, uh, who is just sort of the, the talk of, of camp. So uh, seems like he is maybe the best bet to uh, fill that cowing role. And, and that would open up Smith as, um, you know, a little bit more of the possession type receiver, but, should be a decent running game. Deion Hankins is back and healthy. Ronald Awat was the leading rusher and, and starter last year. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that UTEP, though, the, the margin is obviously very tight. Um, having this game at home, having the excitement, and a little bit more consistency at, at the quarterback position. And, you know, kind of like how they match up on the defensive line against the North Texas offensive line as well. So uh, it'll be a toss up. It'll be a close game, but I do, I do think I'm, I'm happy that we're on UTEP to win it outright. Um, and our final score in that one is 28, uh, 27. Uh, what do you, what do you think Xavier? Do you think uh, UTEP can put this together and come away with a dub here? Yeah, it's going to be another close one. Uh, I think Nick hits around the head. This is going to be a really good game. Uh, <clears throat> UTEP's going to be tired to get some get back after losing uh, by three to North Texas last year um, on the road. So they're definitely going to try to get some get back there, being at home and it being the first game of the year. I absolutely agree with Nick. I think this is a this UTEP should win this ball game. My only concern is a lot of new faces. I mean, in some important positions, especially on the outside. Uh, and will there be enough continuity there between fall camp and obviously spring for them to, you know, hit the ground running? Uh, that's my only true concern. Outside of that, I think that they should win this ball game. I, I think North Texas, you know, is going to be asking for a lot. You know, I, but I, man, this is going to be a close game. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, genuinely like, you know, the line being one, I, I feel like this might be the most accurate line we've gotten yet in, in, in this part of the episode. Uh, and I, I think that's why obviously the, the tickets are sold as they have. I'm going to go with North Texas here. Or excuse me, I'm going to go with UTEP here. I think they get some get back. I think they, you know, they, they ruled the loss that they had last year uh, against North Texas and they win their first game of the year. All right. Next game up here. We have Nevada at New Mexico state. Uh, Nevada is a nine point favorite. 50 and a half is the over in this game. Uh, look, um, New Mexico state, Hasn't been good, but Nevada lost so much talent. They lost their head coach. They are replacing a ton on this team here, Nick. Um, this could be a wrong team favorite again. It would not be shocking to me. They're at least Nevada is at least favored by way too many points for me to be comfortable in this game. So I would be in on New Mexico State. What say you? 
We have New Mexico State to cover, and, and this is a, a situation, you know, like I mentioned with Wyoming, we're probably still a little too high on Nevada because they were a good team last year. Won eight games, went to a bowl game, um, and just lost a ton of talent. I mean, they rank 131st in returning production overall, 131st on offense, 130th on defense. And they, you know, even the guys that they've got coming back, quarterback Nate Cox, who started uh, that bowl game when Carson Strong opted out, his his status is a little bit up in the air. And, you know, he was still competing for the starting job with the transfer Shane Illingworth, uh, but also had a legal issue that, um, you know, could potentially uh, cause him, you would think, to, to see, you know, a suspension of some sort, whether it's a half or, or a full game or, or what have you. Um, but that's even more you know, potential experience that Nevada uh, will have to, to be without. They will, I think, uh, lean pretty heavily on a really solid running back duo, uh, Toa Tawa and Devontae Lee, one of the better running back duos, one of the bigger running back duos in, in the Mountain West, but zero returning starters on the offensive line after uh, Aaron Frost went down with a season-ending injury in August, which was just a brutal, excuse me, brutal blow um, that we discussed a few weeks ago. And then, you know, defensively, they've got two returning starters just at all. <laughs> and Dom Peterson uh, is about as good as it gets. Um, interior defensive lineman, incredibly, incredibly productive. One of the most experienced players in the country, 42 career starts, 100 rated player. But you know, he and Brentley Sanders uh, starting safety, uh, that's about it. Uh, you know, they've got a couple of guys uh, penciled in the starting lineup who played, you know, 200 or more snaps. Both corners were, you know, two deep type guys. Nickelback Tyson Williams was a, a borderline starter. I mean, played played quite a bit. But, I mean, the, the defensive line outside of Peterson, uh, according to their depth chart, is Marcel Walker, who's a JUCO transfer, James Hansen and Louis Cresto, who are transfers, none of whom played a snap last year um, at, at their respective, or excuse me, at the FBS level. Uh, you know, Walker played in, in junior college. Hansen and Cresto um, are transfers from Utah State and Oregon, respectively, um, who just weren't, you know, didn't play. Cresto, I think, was actually a walk-on. Um, so our model is still counting because it, it, you know, we think it does a pretty good job for 125 teams. Um, but Nevada is just on that so extreme end of returning production um, that we're probably too high on them as, you know, the 106 ranked team in the country. New Mexico State is, I think, going to be improved. Another new head coach, Jerry Kill. Um, I think that their style of play is going to be a better fit. New Mexico State was a little more of the you know up tempo, throw it around a lot. So there would be three and outs where you know 10, 12 seconds would run off the clock, and the defense would have to go back on the field again, and and just sort of those team performance numbers just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. To they were 125th in the country last year ranked 123rd or worse in all of our uh, important stats that we track. Um, 
yards per play allowed, 128th yards, uh, excuse me, points per drive, 123rd yards per pass attempt, 127th success rate, 126th EPA per play, 127th. I think that this defense will just be better protected. Um, and they've got some good players, Chris Ojo, Trevor Broward, pretty solid linebacker duo. Donovan King has showed some promise as a, a pass rusher. Cyrus Dumas, um, pretty productive corner. They also supplemented with some transfers, especially in the secondary. Um, brought in some guys who played, you know, some some big time uh, games and and you know at some big time programs. They've got transfers on defense from Oklahoma, TCU, Miami of Ohio, UNLV, Michigan. Um, offensively, you know, could be. Uh, interesting to see. Should be a much more run-based offense. Diego Pavea, it seems, is the uh, projected starter, but he's been in a competition with true freshman Gavin Frakies. But uh, the, the offensive staff has a little bit more of a history of leaning on the running game and the quarterback run game, and that is a strength of Pavea, who is a, a junior college national championship quarterback, uh, New Mexico Military Institute last year. Brought in some JUCO guys at running back, a transfer, Amante Watkins, former you know four-star caliber player at TCU's, played both offense and defense. It'll be interesting. A lot of new faces on both sides. I think that New Mexico State, who's in a similar situation to UTEP, where they're selling a lot of tickets for a home game, uh, there seems to be a buzz. People are excited about Jerry Kill and and sort of the uh, you know hope for the future. There seems like they're going to be able to keep it close. Our projected point spread. Uh, after we we released the official projection before we got the New Mexico State uh, depth chart officially released, so the the gap actually has widened just a little bit, but still only five and a half points um, under a touchdown. And and you know do expect that this will be a close game and would not be a huge huge upset uh, if New Mexico State is able to pull it off. What do you think here, Xavier? Do you like New Mexico State? Nevada's got a lot to replace. Do you think Nevada Absolutely. can still pull this off? They've got, I mean, not only do they have a ton of replace, they they just brought in a ton of transfers. I just don't know if they all, you know, click game one. You know, out of the, the three starters on the offensive line, all of them are transfers, one of their big, you know, big transfer for the receiving core. Uh, obviously, we talked about, you know, possibly even Shane Ellingworth, another transfer being the starter. Their tight ends, both are transfers. And then Cooper Schultz and, and Jacob Monroe, like they've just got a ton of turnover that will it gel in game one? I can't say for sure it will, um, you know, and they've lost just so much talent uh, that, that it was so good. I mean, you know, me, me and Scott followed the, NBA, the NFL, excuse me, pretty closely. Romeo Dubs has been all over the NFL so far. I mean, he's taken Green Bay by storm. He's been really, really good. Uh, but, you know, when you look at New Mexico State, yes, they have some transfers. I just feel like they have some more uh, continuity in, you know, key areas. Their offensive line uh, is, is pretty t- uh, pretty old, excuse me, uh, you know, pretty experienced outside of obviously left guard where they feature a sophomore. And I just feel like, yes, you're, they're absolutely going to rely on their running game. Uh, they've got not only one, but two guys coming in, two fresh quarterbacks, uh, Gavin Frakes, freshman, obviously, Diego uh, Pavia. The transfer was also a sophomore, so they're going to rely on their running game, and they're going to allow their defense to to, to be what you know keeps them in this ball game. And I think they'll be able to. I'm going to take New Mexico State here. Uh, I, I think that you know Nevada, with all the talent loss, I'm just not comfortable picking them in this ball game. Uh, too many fresh faces that I'm not sure if they all works. You know, and, and in too many key positions, and your offensive line is is pretty much made up of transfers. 
that's even scarier than just your quarterback also being made of a, of a, of a possible transfer in that ball game as well. Uh, so I'm going to go with New Mexico State here. I think they pull out what, you know, I think name-wise and recognition-wise will be, a, a, you know, an upset. Uh, but I don't think when you look at you know, when you take the deep dive, uh, as we do on this podcast, it's not as much of an upset as people uh, would, would call it. Uh, next game up here, Vanderbilt at Hawaii. Vandy, eight and a half point favorites. The total is 55. I don't know how Vandy is favored in this game. Uh, I know that the, the roster probably is more talented than Hawaii, but they've got to go to Hawaii in this game and Hawaii has a high powered offense. So to me, I think the wrong team is favored. I think the Warriors get this dub week zero week one. And uh, I just don't think that Vandy can go there and pull it off. It's one of the better opponents that Hawaii has played in week one in recent years, but I mean, recent years were Arizona. So uh, what do you think of, of this game, Nick? Do you think that uh, Hawaii can, uh, you know, win with this home field advantage or is Vandy's roster too good? Well, I will say that our projections uh, agreed with you until maybe a week ago. Um, did some some updates and uh, just some of the you know Hawaii is is you can basically cut out what I said about Nevada, put it here as well. Uh, just replay that same audio. They're 130th in returning production and um, just so many new faces, new head coach that it's difficult for our model to adjust, especially when they've been a bowl caliber team the last few years. Vanderbilt has more talent you're you're absolutely right um they are a power five team they though they don't necessarily recruit you know anywhere near the high end um they're in the 80s in roster strength and and uh should be able to you know bigger faster stronger um on average compared to hawaii who ranks in the you know mid triple digits 115th in, in overall roster strength um I do think that, you know, this, this one, I believe it opened as a pick em way, you know, weeks, maybe a month or more ago. Um, and we were right there. I mean, we had Hawaii as a slight favorite for, for a long time. The more I look into it, the more I think, uh, you know, Hawaii, I think has some promise, but they are just, you know, new head coach, first year head coach, Never, you know, hasn't been a coordinator at the FDS level. Um, seems like a great long-term hire, program hero. But I'm just not sure that this, you know, I, I just feel like this year is going to be rough. Um, I'm excited to see what they do offensively. You mentioned, you know, could be a, a pretty prolific passing attack. It seems like they're going to be, uh, you know, brought in an offensive coordinator from uh, Eastern Washington, going to be more of an air raid system. Uh, Timmy Chang, the head coach, has been at Nevada most recently. Uh, spent a little time at Colorado State after Jane Norvell uh, moved there, but, you know, has been on that staff, which is an air raid staff. Matt Mummy is the offensive coordinator. Norvell uh, is actually the play caller, but air raid. They've got some intriguing options at quarterback. Braden Schrager is the, uh, you know, got three games as a starter last year at Hawaii. Um, sort of the inside track to take over for Shevin Cordero, who transferred out. But Joey Yellen, the transfer from Pitt, is in the mix. Cameron Cooper, 
former uh, you know high three, low four star transfer from Washington State. Um, I don't think is is out of it entirely yet. All three were ors on the depth chart, but guys like Zion Bowens, Jonah Pinnock, um, a tight end transfer from the FCS level, Jordan Murray, who's gotten a lot of camp buzz. Uh, interested to see how it all comes together and think that perhaps, you know, Vanderbilt, which really, really struggled last season, uh, coming out of the gate, lost to an FCS opponent, um, but also just, you know, was, was outmatched, uh, week in and week out in, in SEC play, had to beat UConn at the last second, um, you know, for, for that second win of the season, last win of the season, um, I don't know. I don't know. I do like Mike Wright at quarterback. I was excited that he won the job early. Um, I think he can be dynamic. I think it'll be fun to see what he can do against a uh, Hawaii defense that is going to be one of the youngest in the country. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the travel is certainly a factor. Um, and the fact that Vanderbilt just doesn't really know how to win consistently. Um, they're the better team. They should win. They probably should win this game by double digits. Uh, but it seems like the kind of game to me where they might have to, <coughs> where they might have to just sort of, you know, sneak out a win uh, and just sort of, you know, leave town quickly uh, after that last second field goal, sort of similar to, to the way they beat UConn last year. So I I am excited to see what both teams look like, but uh, it, it's difficult for me to trust that Vanderbilt is, you know, much improved to the, to the point where they're going to beat, you know, beat another team convincingly at their place. Uh, so I, I, I do think that I'm, you know, I'm not quite as bullish as our projection, which has uh, Vanderbilt favored by about a quarter of a point. Um, we have a one point, you know, 29-28 win for Vandy. Um, that, you know, that might be asking too much, but I do think that Hawaii's got a pretty good shot to keep this, you know, between a field goal and a touchdown, and maybe Vandy has to make a play at the end of the game to, to kind of steal victory away. What do you think, Xavier? Do you think uh, Hawaii takes this one at home, or do you like Vandy even with the travel? I want to pick Vandy so bad. I really do. Like, this is a team that I don't think Vandy could take another. Because in the grand scheme of things, even though people, you know, people who watch college football understand the travel, understand the Hawaii's offense is actually going to be pretty explosive the whole 9-5, to five, it's still going to be an SEC team losing the Hawaii, and it's just going to be at the fate of Vandy. And, and unfortunately, that's still going to be a knock on Vandy's, you know, current lineage as the school in which they are. I, I just, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if Vandy has, and this is going to sound crazy. I don't know if Vandy has the talent to, to roll. If, if if Hawaii's offense gets to rolling, if Vandy can compete on that in, in a shootout, Vandy's going to have to keep this game under 30 points, in my opinion, to win this game. They're going to have to. 35 points is the max. Um, if they don't keep it under 35, Hawaii's winning this game. You know, and obviously that meant Hawaii had a really good afternoon. But it wouldn't also surprise me if they were able to do so. You know, I will say Vandy's defense is, you know, senior laden, literally. But 
obviously you also know with other what you know what my saying is on this podcast. So I, I do think that you know Vandy's defense is going to be somewhere where they lean a little bit um, in this ball game to make the stops necessary because Hawaii's offense is obviously, in my opinion, I will say their strength. Um, but like I said, I think if Hawaii is gets this game rolling, it might get ugly for Vandy because. I don't know if they can go in a shootout with with any team, really. Uh, but let alone a Hawaii team that I think if they, if they can get their offense rolling, it, you know, they can be very explosive. So I'm gonna pick Vandy. Obviously, my voice got lessened when I said that because the confidence in that pick is very limited. Um, going to Hawaii, they might honestly. If I'm them, I would have left yesterday to get to Hawaii so that you can acclimate yourself. Uh, I can't remember what team did that during the bowl game during the bowl week. Uh, they got to Hawaii like a week and a half early, obviously to enjoy the amenities of Hawaii, but also to, to to get used to the time difference. So, if I'm Vandy and they're not already there, I would be there yesterday. Uh, that'll help, but ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised if Hawaii beats them. I'm still gonna go Vandy because I think they're still the more talented bunch, even if it is by you know a, a sliver. But you know, hopefully, Vandy's able to win this game because I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I did say they were gonna go over this year. They lose this game, it's gonna get really, <laughs> gonna get really shaky. Yeah, well, it's all always good when you're like, I don't know if they're gonna beat Hawaii, and I picked them to go over. Probably not a good sign, obviously. They are in Hawaii already. They are in Hawaii. Uh, already. Just check their social media. Well, thank God for that. Uh, Nebraska <laughs> versus Northwestern. This one, speaking of a road game for both teams in Dublin, Ireland. So uh, a ways away. Nebraska is a 12 and a half point favorite. 15 and a half is the over here. Um, Nebraska has got a lot of transfers. Scott Frost is on maybe one of the hottest seats in the country. Nick, uh, you know, they, I feel like the only reason he got this year is because he is a former Nebraska legend on the field. Um, What do we think of this game? Northwestern, it was so bad. They haven't been very good recently, but we know their, uh, you know, their history. They're much better than they have played. Can they bounce back and make this a competitive game, or is this uh, Nebraska moving up? I uh, this this game is is difficult for me. I do think Nebraska will be improved. I think that, um, uh, you know, the defense took a pretty big step forward last year. And there's some concern because they lost guys like Cam Taylor Britt, Jojo Doman, um, who it sounds like is making, you know, even as an undrafted free agent, uh, making some um, waves a little bit uh, in Colts camp. But I, I do think that the offense, and, you know, they've got to replace uh, Cam Jurgens, who's one of the best centers in the country. I think that, that they're going to take the step forward this year. And, and they were borderline a top 40 unit, um, actually ranked 22nd in uh, passing offensive team performance last season. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued by the hire of Mark Whipple. I'm intrigued by Casey Thompson coming in and, and um, you know being named the starting quarterback recently. Trey Palmer, who was a big-time recruit at LSU, who you know just didn't quite live up to that potential, sounds like he is uh, you know one of the the more talked about players in camp so far. They're talking about doing some really interesting things with uh, Rockmere Johnson, who 
I think he called himself a wide back, but you know, has been a, a running back actually as a returning starter at running back, but is playing a lot of receiver out of the slot, getting moved around, doing a lot of things. So, you know, he and Anthony Grant, the uh, Juco transfer, probably going to be on the field at the same time. Uh, and Grant was a former, you know, power five signee coming out of high school as well. So, um, I'm, I'm interested to see what the offense looks like. I think it'll be, you know, different. Certainly uh, have had high hopes for Nebraska offenses in the past under Scott Frost, and it hasn't quite uh, worked out to, you know, the point where they've really been able to um, be as explosive as those UCF offenses that, that were so good and those Oregon offenses before that that he had a hand in. Um, and, you know, Mark Whipple, Coached the Blitnikoff Award winner last year. Coached the only quarterback to go in the first round. So uh, it, it might be, you know, maybe two. Uh, I, I, I struggle to, or I, I try to to guard myself from being too optimistic. Um, but I do think that this Nebraska offense is going to be better, and I think the defense, you know, has a chance, um, especially if the the secondary. Uh, is able to replenish some some talented players, which is a big ask. I mean, three full-time starters um, are out of eligibility or, or playing in the NFL. But they did rebuild the defensive line, which is a big question of mine early in the offseason because they had lost some transfers, lost some guys to um, the NFL. Uh, but they brought in O'Shawn Mathis, who's incredibly productive at TCU, could be one of the best edge rushers uh, in – the Big Ten. They brought some interior guys in as well. Devin Drew, Stephen Wynn, uh, Stephon Wynn, excuse me. Uh, Omar Brown, a, a transfer corner, is going to be a big part of that, you know, potentially rebuilt secondary. He's an FCS transfer from Northern Iowa where he was really productive. So I, I it's a lot of, uh, you know, I guess pinning your hopes on newcomers, and that's always a little bit tricky. Uh, and also Nebraska has burned us and, and a lot of folks in the past. Um, so it's difficult to trust them, but I think that there's reason to be optimistic and actually optimistic that this is a, you know, bowl caliber team. Um, if they, you know, if they don't suffer that, uh, just painful excruciating loss, like they had last year in week zero, uh, against Illinois, and things start to snowball and, and, you know, lose other close games, which last year, you know, couldn't, couldn't win a close game uh, for anything. You know, I, I think that they're able to get a win, get some confidence. They're going to be a decent team. The problem is traveling, you know, as far as they are, I saw something that was kind of interesting. This is a little off topic, but uh, Vanderbilt is actually traveling farther than Nebraska and Northwestern are kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> but, um, still, I mean, 3000 miles or whatever it is, 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 uh, it's a lot. And these guys, these teams have, have you know, been there. I think they arrived late Tuesday night, our time, uh, early Wednesday, maybe. Um, so they'll, they'll get their legs under them and, and all that, but very unfamiliar circumstances and Northwestern, you know, as much as they struggled last year, three and nine, one and eight in the Big Ten, uh, 117th in overall team performance, 113th on offense, 114th on defense. 
they have a history under Pat Fitzgerald of just sort of popping up and being really good sometimes. And, and even if they're not, um, they're one of those teams kind of similar to Wyoming that can just be a total pain in the ass for four quarters. And it's just yeah. difficult to put away sometimes. And so uh, we similar, you know, have a similar projection to the line. Uh, it's 12 and a half. I think that's grown a little bit. Uh, ours is right around double digits, you know, 9.83 when we posted it uh, on Patreon. Um, and that to me seems about right. Kind of like we talked about Vanderbilt where, you know, maybe maybe they just have to get out with a one point, three point touchdown win. I feel like that is sort of Nebraska a little bit. Um, you know, maybe maybe they're able to get it to 10. But I think that Northwestern, who's I think going to be an improved team, um, you know, Ryan Holinsky sounds like he's got the inside track at, at quarterback. They'll need more consistency out of him, but they do have what should be a really solid one-two running back duo and Evan Hole, who took over last year for an injured Cam Porter, uh, ran for a thousand yards, but Porter was you know really really good. A couple of years ago, um, they do have maybe the best NFL draft prospect uh, that we'll see in week zero. And, and Peter Skaronsky is going to be a first round pick, most likely. He's one of four returning starters on the offensive line for Northwestern. So if that Nebraska defensive line doesn't quite gel right away, you know, could certainly give them some trouble. Uh, Northwestern lost a lot on defense especially in the front seven. And then also, you know, we talked about in our Notre Dame preview, uh, the best single player on their defense, Brandon Joseph transferred uh, and, and is going to be playing for the Fighting Irish this year. Uh, not in Ireland. But uh, this unit, you know, Nebraska, excuse me, Northwestern defenses, though last year was uh, terrible. I mean, they, they finished 100 spots lower uh last season than they did in 2020 when they were a top 15 defense they were 24th in 2019 28th in 2018 12th in 2017 i mean they were consistently pretty good defensively until last year just the bottom fell out i'm not expecting top 15 again but top 40 seems reasonable um and if you know we get an improved Northwestern defense, we get a, an offense that kind of controls the clock, runs the ball, uh, keeps the game close into the fourth quarter. I, I think our 31-21 projection might actually be a little too high scoring. Um, maybe a 24-14, 27-17, but I think that 10 points seems about right. And, and maybe Northwestern's able to make it even a little more interesting, keep it within a, a touchdown but just sort of the travel and everything and, and kind of Nebraska, similar to what I said about Vanderbilt again, you know, they, they don't necessarily know how to win right now. So to get that started, um, blowing out a team, you know, winning a game comfortably, it certainly can happen, but it just doesn't seem as likely. So I think that they will uh, need to win close before they can win uh, comfortably. 
And this seems like a game that they probably should win, but I think we'll have to win close. Uh, Get out of Ireland with a win. Don't screw it up against North Dakota (laughs) next week. And then, you know, they can they can start to build and and make a charge toward bowl eligibility. Uh, But I think that, you know, Northwestern and and sort of the the logistics of everything is going to make it difficult to to win this by you know two touchdowns or more. Xavier, what do you think of this game? Do you think uh, Nebraska walks with this one and looks improved? Northwestern hasn't been good, or is Northwestern the team that's going to get back on track and actually make a game out of this? Listen, all I'm going to say is this. If I'm a Northwestern <laughs> fan, going 3-9 and nine the previous year is a good omen. Last time they went 3-9, and nine, they finished 7-2 and two the very next year. That's all I'm saying. Um, not saying that's gonna that's what's gonna happen, but I'm just saying that you know if I'm if I'm a north if I'm a northwestern fan and I'm looking for good omens, there you go. Uh, I think Nebraska's a more talented ball club now. Casey Thompson has to hit the ground running. I think he's gonna have to be extremely important for this team to have any success this year. Um, and especially in this game, I'm I'm you know I want to see what kind of leash that they have with him this year. Um, you know, obviously with him being a grad transfer, I, I want to see if he's the bona fide number one starter or if you know after a couple of mistakes or if they start slow. Do, do they start to look towards the bench? You, you start to see other quarterbacks start to warm up. On the flip side, Ryan Helinski, dude, you've got to put a season together. Like, you know, you weren't able to do that South Carolina. That's why you ended up transferring to Northwestern. Your first year at Northwestern wasn't great either. Can you put together a year where, you know, every where you are the four star that you were when you came in high school or came into college? Uh, almost, I think it was a French five star, if not a five star. Um, you know, so can you put it together? And if you can, then this game's going to be really competitive. Um, I, I don't believe in Nebraska's defense necessarily. Their secondary is rather young, especially at the safety spots. Uh, they were going to be featuring two sophomore safeties. Um, and Miles Farmer and Marquise Buford Jr. Uh, both of those guys, I think, you know, both have transfers behind them. So you're going to be looking – it's going to be a young safety room um, uh, back there. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if Northwestern can stretch the field at all. Uh, you know, obviously with Malik Washington and, and, and company, they have an older receiving core featuring – two seniors um, and, and three juniors um, in, that, in that receiving core. So if any time they explode, it's got to be this year for these guys. Uh, same thing goes for the running back room that features three juniors and a grad transfer um, as well as a redshirt freshman. But you know, obviously, once again, still a, a very senior-laden, you know, skill uh, set for uh, for Northwestern. So if they're going to explode anywhere, it's going to be because, you know, Ryan Hunsey and these guys are able to throw the ball a little bit around the yard. Uh, my concern for them is on the defensive front. They have a ton of transfers coming in. Uh, will those guys be able to get pressure? Um, and Casey Thompson, being the athlete that he is, you've got to keep contained. This is not a guy that is afraid to run at all. He sold it at Texas. He's not a guy who's afraid to leave the pocket and make plays on his feet uh, or with his feet, excuse me. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this game because, uh, once again, this is going to be very indicative of the year that Nebraska has. If Nebraska scr- struggles to win this game or loses this game, I think there's going to be a lot of people, me included, who are going to look at this game as possibly a, a barometer for what their season is going to look like. I'm going to pick Nebraska to win this game. I think they finally get to a, off to a good start. They need that really bad under Scott Frost. I feel like they haven't had a genuinely good start in his tenure there. I feel like it's just been sputtering the whole time. Um, and you're absolutely right, Nick. If they lose this game, man, going into that North Dakota game, it's going to be <laughs> nip and tuck again. People are going to be like, well, can they blow it twice in a row? Uh, so Even if uh, they win it, I'm – I'm keeping an eye on that North right. Dakota game. You, you heard your first guy <laughs> sample for, for, for week, what would that be, week two? Week, week one, really. Week one, take the North Dakota, you know, 
to take North Dakota to cover in that ball game. That you heard it here first from Nick. Uh, but no, I'm going to pick Nebraska to win this game in Ireland. Uh, but hey, once again, if, if North if Northwestern and once again it, it falls on the shoulders of Ryan Hunsky. If he can get it going, then Northwestern could be a team that sneakily is solid offensively and could give some teams some headaches, uh, including Nebraska in Week One or Week Zero. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this week. We had uh, teams 15 through 11 and also a week zero preview. We'll be back in a couple days, breaking down teams 10 through one to wrap up our team preview for the 2022 season. And we will have a week one preview as well next week. So uh, you will get two shows next week. So make sure you are tuned in and we will see you guys then. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys in a couple days. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.